Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of BAMS Radio is uh, we're led in by the boss, Bruce Springsteen, a man whose music I love and politics I hate. I'm Kerry <laughs> Clark of Scout.com and BamaMag.com, along with my co-host, Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com, and Thomas Watts, who writes for Touchdown Alabama Magazine, is back in the studio running the board, tracking down the guests. And Drew, uh, before we get into tonight's lineup, I think it's... Uh, time to kind of pause and and discuss the very unfortunate passing of former Auburn tight end Philip Lutzenkirchen. Yeah, you know, absolutely, Kerry. Uh, anybody that follows you on Twitter, you know, sees your ABI this week. Uh, I wrote a, a story that got a lot of play on my website the day it happened. Um, and, of course, many people did not know the angle of his sister, uh, Abby Lutzenkirchen, who is a rising junior soccer player, a defender for Alabama, actually a very, very fine player, one of the best in the SEC. She started, you know, all 37 matches of her career. Um, but you just really feel for the family. I mean, uh, in times like this, you, neither you, and I, you or I is ever going to be, you know, mistaken for an Auburn fan. But, you know, that just kind of puts the rivalry in perspective. Um, Lutz and Curtin, from all people that I've spoken with and heard speak about the young man, was a class act, uh, a class individual, um, was a very good football player too, uh, one of the best tight ends in Auburn history. Uh, only an unfortunate hip injury kept him from an NFL career. Kind of reminded me of Colin Peake in a way. But uh, just he just he was a very good football player. But more than that, he was a very good person. And, you know, he, and, when, you, and when you listen to all these people reflect, and you, they never say anything bad about the guy. And then they never said that, you know, of course, before the accident either. And so that's when you know someone is a special person. Yes, and, you know, a wonderful player, a great person. Um, I, I, you know, it's just tragic that someone could lose their life at, at such a young age, 23. Uh, he had gotten the coaching bug after being a volunteer assistant at St. James High School in Montgomery under Jimmy Perry, a friend of mine. And uh, the, everyone who played with him, 
and everyone who played for him during his brief coaching career had so many great things to say about Philip. And that sounds trite. You know, you hear that kind of thing every time somebody passes away, no matter how old they are. But this was truly a, a wonderful guy. I read some of the things he said uh, when his sister signed with Alabama soccer, and he said, you know what, uh, I'll never say roll tide, but if, if i got to buy a red and white number 33 shirt and wear to the games, I'll do it. They were very close. And uh, if we have time later on, uh, uh, after Rodney Orr goes off around 9.30, uh, I may read something to the listeners that, that Abby wrote about Philip. I think they'd, be, they'd love to hear it. Uh, but we've got a, a pretty, uh, pretty jam-packed lineup tonight. Uh, we've got a guest about every 30 minutes uh, from now until 9.30. And, Drew, why don't you kind of go over the lineup tonight for us? Absolutely. You know, first of all, you know, uh, our first guest tonight, uh, and I'm going to welcome him to the show. We have him now. Kerry uh, is, in my opinion, uh, one of the best free safeties in America. Uh, he's, you know, 6'2", 180 pounds. Uh, he's, uh, he's been committed to Alabama, much like Makai Brown. He was one of, he was the first commitment to the University of Alabama and kind of got everything rolling in the 2015 class. And he's done nothing but back everything up since then. Uh, but we, we want to welcome uh, uh, West Orange Safety Stark High School uh, star Deontay Thompson to BAM's radio. Deontay, welcome uh, to BAM's radio tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we really look forward to it, man. We Everybody's been excited since we were able to confirm you last night. But I guess for our listeners, first of all, uh, they've, they've never, you know, had the pleasure of hearing you speak, Deontay. Just kind of tell everybody about you, about who you are as a player, where, you, where you're from, who you play for, and, you know, and uh, just uh, just get, got to give everybody an overview of yourself as an athlete. Yes. Well, well, I play I play football at West Orange Stark High School in Orange, Texas. I play free safety, but I I do double duty of playing free safety and receiver, so I take that very well. And and describing myself as a player, I'm just a playmaker, and I love being around the ball. And I feel like every time I get my hands on the ball, something positive will happen. Absolutely, and 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 and, and, and just kind of talk about briefly. I mean, you you kind of set the tone a lot of, and you and you're an answer to a trivia question when you're the first commitment. What made you decide to commit to the University of Alabama so early in the process, and uh, and basically end your recruitment? Well, well, it it was it was my first offer. Alabama was my first offer, and it was my first. Um, Junior day, so I went down to Alabama with with nothing, with no offers. I mean, um, I had just just finished my sophomore year. Where I had a great year, and and I came. Well, I went to Tuscaloosa, and the, the coaching staff just treated me like I was at home. And I talked to Coach Saban, and Coach Saban just made me feel like the the best player in the country. Just just telling me how how he had watched my film and how he had broken down. And just said that I I'd fit it in the fit it in the Bama defense of scheme, and he offered me right then and there. And uh, we went to, well, I went to lunch with my parents, and we talked it over, and we just said that nothing nothing better was going to come. So I, I decided to commit that day, and I I don't regret it, and I haven't looked back since. Hey Deontay, this is Kerry Clark. I work with John Garcia over at uh, BamaMag.com and Scout.com. How you doing tonight? Good. How about you? Doing good, doing good. We really appreciate you having you on the show, like Drew said. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, this is kind of an off-the-wall question, but I, I, we don't get to talk a whole lot 
to people that play ball in Texas. And uh, I'm a kind, I'm the guy that you know grew up reading books like Friday Night Lights and seeing the movie and seeing the TV show, all versions of it. Uh, tell us a little bit about how it really is on Friday nights in Texas when it's time for high school football. Well, I mean it's crazy. I mean Friday, just the atmosphere from from the time that you walk into school that morning, from the time that you go to the locker room and get ready. I mean, you see, it's like a circus atmosphere wherever we go. I mean, barbecue, all the tailgating and stuff, and and the stands are already filled before pregame. So, I mean, it's it's just a, it's just a big thing here in Texas, and and when when the fans come out, you, you can't disappoint. You have to bring your A game every Friday night. And is it true that, like, in the small towns and all, everything pretty much shuts down during the ball game? Oh, yes, sir. I, I know where I'm from is a pretty small town, and I know just about every restaurant and and every every store in, in Orange is, is empty. So everyone's at the game. That's awesome. And i got to ask you one more question uh, before I pass it back to Drew. Uh, I love to ask this of all of the players that are signed as defensive players. Uh, looking back at your varsity career, can you think of a time when you probably the hardest hits you ever laid on anybody and kind of describe the play? Ooh, the hard, hardest hit I laid was was my sophomore year uh, versus, versus Jasper. I mean, we were playing at home. It was a pretty packed house. So it, it was a scene coming out the backfield, and I read it just perfect. So, I mean, when the guy turned, turned to me, he, he caught the screen, he turned to me, and I knocked his helmet off, and, and it was a big hit, and, and, my, and everything just went black, and, and people were telling me how hard I hit him, and I saw it on film the next day, and I was, I was just like, man. We're well, going to be looking for some of that in Tuscaloosa, just to let you know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I want to ask you something, Deontay. I know one of the things that I'm sure attracted you to Alabama's program was the development at your position and the, and the personal coaching by Nick Saban and, and everything like that. But talk about – do you have – have you, and you – I know you've made five – you told me you've made five trips to Tuscaloosa total in, in, since the process began for you. Have you been able to pick the brain or meet uh, someone like HaHa Clinton Dix who played your position and who's now you're trying to emulate to reach the NFL and become a first-round draft pick? Oh yes, sir. I, I, I actually met Ha Ha this past weekend. And oh, that's right. He, and he is one of the most most humble guys that I've ever met. I mean, he he's very he's very intelligent, and, and he speaks highly about Alabama football. So, I mean, when we were talking, we discussed a few things about how it, it, it's going to be it's going to be pretty rough at Alabama. You just have to stay focused in the book. And, and pay attention to what's going on on the field, and, and you'll succeed. So, coming from somebody that that's the first person I drafted and knows what he's talking about, I mean, I, I listened to him every detail that he gave to me, and I just took it and ran with it, and I'm just ready for my experience at Tuscaloosa. Oh, and absolutely, and, and I we, I wanted to you know, I wanted to first of all, I, I, Thomas Watts, who's running our board, he's got he's got an interview locked and loaded. Uh, for us, uh, with the with uh, someone that you're close to, uh, defensive coordinator Kirby Smart, that we're going to get a chance to listen to later. But just kind of tell the audience. I mean, you you we had, you and I talked earlier, but talk about the special relationship you have with Kirby Smart. Uh, uh, Coach Smart, I mean, we talk we talk very often, just about every day or every other day. I mean, he just 
she just makes me like feel that 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 Alabama is just like Orange. Well, Tuscaloosa is just like Orange, Texas, and, and I won't be be going going that far. I mean, he just makes makes me feel like like I'm at home when when I come to Alabama, and he's just he's gonna be like my father figure out there. I'm I'm gonna lean on him a lot, and I'm just ready for the experience. Awesome, man. And I, I, I want to ask you about some of the experiences you've already had. Uh, you were you were able to travel out to Baltimore, Maryland, you know, and, and work out at the uh, Baltimore Ravens facility, the, their their uh, their stadium. Talk about the rivals, five star talents, and what you uh, were able to draw from away from that experience. Well, it, it was a great experience for me. I, I got to go out there and compete with with the top guys in the country, and and I, and I held my ground there. So I mean, just just being able to see where I met with the with the top of the top was was just an amazing amazing experience. And I got to meet some guys that I'm going to be playing with and playing against on Saturday. So I mean, it, it, it was just a great experience all around. I got I got the best coaching that any any DB can get. So I had a great time out there, and, and my family and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'll tell you, I wanted to ask you about some of the other uh, recruiting visits you made before you committed, specifically in, in the Texas, uh, big schools in Texas. Who all did you visit, uh, like, on a game day? Well, early in my summer year, I, I went to a Baylor game, and they didn't really, like, attack me in the recruiting process like, like Alabama did with my first, with my first visit there. Um, so... That was my that was my only visit before I before I committed to Alabama. And have you been to like A and M or Austin since then? Yes, sir. I, I um actually when when I committed, those two offers fell in place after, and I and I took my visit to those schools just to see what what everything was looking like over there, and and it, it was just something about Tuscaloosa that kept kept sticking sticking with me so. I didn't. I wasn't really interested in, in any of those schools. I'm gonna take a wild guess and say none of them other two had a water fountain in the locker room. <laughs> oh no, waterfall. Yeah, I mean, was, that that was something that that was, was kind of kind of shocking, but like it, it was cool at the same time. I'm like, it's stuff that you don't see in Texas. No, nobody in Texas has a waterfall in their locker room, so. I mean that 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 was kind of cool. What's up, Drew? Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, well, Deontay, I, I was going to ask you too. I mean, and you're going to get to do something that you know a lot of people are not going to be able to experience. And to me, it's the epitome or the the top of the line as far as for your for, before you're going into your senior season, as far as a camp or besides, you, I know you've camped at Alabama, but as far as competing against the best players in the country, getting a chance to be invited to the opening and, and go compete in Oregon against all that talent. Talk about uh, how excited you are about that experience, and it's got to be something that, you're, that you've been really looking forward to. Well, that, that, was, that was a dream come true. I, I grew up watching it on ESPN, and, and I just always told my, my parents that, that I'm going to be there one day. And then the opportunity presented itself, so I was invited, and just it was just an amazing moment. And, and a very emotional moment for me that that I'm able to go compete at the Open, and I, I'm just ready to go and compete. Um, There's going to be a, a lot of top top receivers there, and I, I just feel like that, that I'm going to go out there and hold my own. 
I'm going to play good man man coverage in seven on seven. I'm going to cover cover my zone pretty pretty good. So I'm just ready to go go out there and compete and have fun. And 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 and, and to go back with with uh, your the way you've handled the recruiting process. Talk about I mean Burton Burns, who you know who's your who's your lead recruiter. Uh, just to tell the audience who some, some have met Coach Burns. I've had the pleasure of doing so. I know Kerry has as well, but. Just try to tell the audience what kind of man Coach Burns is and how he's handled your recruitment. Coach Burns is, is a great is a great man. I mean he he um he does he, he one thing about Coach Burns, he, he in my recruiting he, he never pressured me. Most most guys that recruit me try to pressure me in, in pursuing another school. So I mean Coach, Coach Burns is very relaxed and, and, and and just just what I like in him too. He he's relaxed and and he tells the school to me what explains the school to me how everything's gonna work. I mean, I just I just fell in love with the way that he was treating me and that's when I decided decided to commit. And ever since then me, me and Coach Burns have developed a great relationship. He's um I talk to him just about every week. So that that's very that's very good. Well and 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 to talk about and also you get a lot of time something that you know none of us may ever get a chance to do. Uh, Carrie's had the pleasure of being in press conferences and asking questions, but talk about you've been able to be in his office and talk one on one and get to know him more as a person. Talk about how your your relationship with head coach Nick Saban. Uh, my relationship with Coach Saban is very good. We we talk about we talk about everything, just about everything. We talk about grades. School, football, and the people that I surround myself with are uh, here and on. So, I mean, we, I can talk about anything to Coach Saban, and Coach Saban is, is going to give me answers and, and give me uh, advice on what I need to do. Deontay, have they uh, talked much to you yet about, like, what exactly position you'll play? Alabama has a free safety, a strong safety, and then they have a nickel and a dime, and have they talked to you about like where they see you fitting in? Uh, well, they told me that that I, that I'll play safety uh, when I get there. So um, that that's one of what I think I'm going to play. But but when I get there, I mean, where, wherever coach needs me to play, I'll be able to play. So like, if they need you to play receiver, you'd be okay with that? Yes, sir. I'd be I'd be fine with that. Whichever whichever way I can help my team win. Outstanding. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah, and, and Deontay, I know we talked about this earlier, but you have—I know you have extremely high expectations for your football team this season, going into your senior year. But just kind of talk about what, what, uh, what, what, what you, what you see, what you w- w- see and would like to, to see West Orange start uh, accomplish this year in your in your final uh, season in high school. Yeah, I, I just—I want to win a, a state championship. Uh, I, I have accomplished everything in the high school career that I want to accept for that. I made all state. I mean, I, I'm going to play Division One football, and, and those are the things that that every every high school prospect wants. And I mean, I have those things. And the only thing that I don't have is a state championship. I mean, this off season we've been working very hard, and, and we're just ready to to get back on the field and, and just dominate. That, that's what it's going to take for us to. to to get to Dallas Christmas, to play in Cowboys Stadium. We're going to have to dominate every Friday night on defense and offense and, and just 
Just have fun. And I, I've got. I want to ask you too. I mean, who was? I know you got a chance to go through the Rivals Five Star Challenge, and it was some of the best talent in America. But now that that's in the past, and you were able to, you know, excel there. Who was the? As far as guys you went up against, who was the best player you went up against there? Well, the best player that I that I went up against, well, there, there were two of them, and one of them is committed to Bama with Calvin Ridley. I mean, his, his racks were, were were insane. I mean, he he's very fast, very explosive, and, and he he gave me gave me trouble, but but I held my own against him. And and Tyrone Johnson, he, they they were both both a handful. Yeah, wow, and I guess in in. Who are you looking forward to most? Is there somebody that you're anticipating would really like to go head up on in the opening? Are you? Is there somebody you're really looking forward to going up against? Uh, oh yes, sir. I, well, I I, I want to go up against every receiver at the opening, but I, I mainly want to want to see how I hold up against uh, George Campbell. Tall, tall, tall receivers, tall receivers like 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 him and. Guys like Preston Williams, Demarcus Lyles, I, I want to see how I hold up against them because it's 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 been proven that that I can cover short and quick guys. Now now it's time to see if I can get on the island and cover the the tall tall big receivers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I guess uh, in in closing here, you know we're we're going we're going to wrap up with you. We appreciate your time. But do you know? Yet, I mean, do you know yet what? Uh, first of all, what you want to major in at Alabama, and do you know what your number is going to be? Yes, uh, yes, sir. I want to. I want to major in a sports sports science. I want to be a physical therapist, or I want to major in chemical engineering. That I haven't decided to. And I just, I just, I'm just ready to go and get a college education and and have fun while I'm doing it. And uh, do you, I know you, you go by Playmaker Eleven on Twitter, but what uh, what's your, what what number do you hope to get at Bama? Oh, uh, uh, I, I I'm really and truly hoping to get number eight, but right. whatever number they give me, I'll be fine with it. Absolutely. Well, Deontay, ma'am, we really appreciate the time tonight on Bama's Radio. We've enjoyed getting to know you. I know our audience really has. This has uh, been a thrill for us. And we look forward to checking in with you again during your senior season. Hopefully, you know, you're going to get get to Dallas, Texas, to the, to the Cowboys Stadium. Uh, I know Alabama yes, uh, routed Michigan there, and it's a great place. But good luck to you this season, man, and thank you for coming on BAMS Radio tonight. Thank you. Roll Tide. Appreciate it, Deontay. Look. So that was uh, Deontay Thompson, one of the top players in the state of Texas, future Alabama safety, 2015 commitment. Very outstanding, great film. And as we found out tonight, Drew, just a great young man, really good attitude. Absolutely. I'm really excited about him. And, uh, you know, I, I really am. I, I think he's as good on film as any safety I've seen. He's very fluid, Kerry. And when tonight he told me he's 6'2", 180, I mean, that's perfect. I mean, for Nick Saban, uh, they like bigger safeties. I, he's enrolling early. Uh, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself for a young man and put pressure on him. But, you know, if he can study and come in and work, and it sounds like he's got the right attitude, maybe he could even make a Tony Brown-type impact. We'll see. Uh, I think Alabama needs to sign three to four safeties in this class. Because as you know, uh, likely Landon Collins last season on the college level, barring injury. Uh, Nick Perry's a fifth-year senior. Uh, 
And, you know, and, and guys like Jarek Williams is a fifth-year senior. Uh, Jabril Washington has played very little football. Uh, I think he's a program guy. I'm not sure he'll ever see meaningful defensive snaps at this point. But, again, they need a talent infusion of some young players at the safety spot. Yeah, and I, I guess we maybe you already know this, but do we do we know for sure when Deontay's going to enroll? Yes, he's enrolling early in January. Oh, that's yeah, he'll have every opportunity to play and play much in 2015, and that's that's great. And like I said, sounds like a great young man. One thing I've been really impressed with on these guests we've had uh, is they just all seem to be such good kids. And I know Drew that there is a vetting process that involves the high school coach, the high school counselor, the high school teachers, and principal. Uh, not just anybody gets an Alabama offer for uh, reasons of, of of things like that, and uh, but he just like most of the other reviews we've had, just sounds like a, a wonderful kid. Oh yeah, that's the thing that struck me today, Kerry. This was my first opportunity to speak with a young man. I want to thank uh, uh, Coach Demetri Warren for helping me get in touch with uh, with Deontay Thompson, a uh, very good high school coach in Mississippi. Knows a lot of kids <laughs> on the college level. You know he. He was able to uh, allow allow us to have Deontay on the show, uh, and he t- told me what a class kid he is. He really is, and you know we really appreciated it. And uh, seems like he comes from a great family. He's very grounded. And anytime you decide to commit to Alabama, carry this early in the process, and he was the first commitment to the 2015 class. And uh, he and he, and he, and he I liked his, what he told us. I mean, to be honest with you, I had not heard of the young man when he committed, but as he said, it was his first offer. He came to Alabama kind of as an unknown and was able to make his bones, uh, you know, at Alabama's camp and earn an offer. And that's big when you when you work out in front of Alabama staff. If Nick Saban, as you ta- as you just got through saying, if Nick Saban, you know, chooses to offer you that early and accept your commitment, you are you will have you have a, you're a big time athlete with a lot of ability and a good person. And that's that's huge too because it means he's going to be the kind of guy that's a good teammate. And I could sense in the conversation that he is going to be a good teammate. And uh, so we're very happy, and, and we thank him for his time, and I thank you for getting him, Drew. And, uh, by the way, I had a, a brief, uh, I guess, texting conversation with Rodney Orr, who's going to join us at 9 o'clock. Uh, Rodney needs to go about 9.30. So uh, I have taken the liberty of adding one more guest. Uh, and, Thomas, uh, I don't know what the area code is uh, in Massachusetts, but we're going to be getting a call around 9.30 Central from Brian Clemenson. Now, who the heck is that, you may ask? Brian is a 19-year-old college student, broadcast major, who announces the Cape Cod League's Brewster Whitecaps baseball game. Why Brian Clemenson tonight? Well, number one, Brewster features four Alabama players, uh, Georgie Salem, uh, Wade Wass, uh, Mikey White, and Kyle Overstreet. Why tonight? Because in their 12 to 4 win today, over oh, Wade Wass hit two grand slams and a double RBI and nine RBIs for Wade Wass today, Drew. And so we're going to have Brian call in and talk about how all four of those kids are doing. But specifically, and I happened to watch that game. I don't know if you did, Drew. It was on Fox Atlantic, and uh, it was wild. Wade Wise, and this is a wooden bat league. This is not aluminum. And Wade went deep with the bases loaded twice and doubled and knocked in another run. And Wade has dramatically improved his skills behind the plate. But, again, he's one of four Alabama guys 
on the Brewster Whitecaps. And as I told Paige Hockman when she announced this a couple weeks ago where the guys were playing, uh, a Whitecap is, is just the tip top of a Crimson Tide anyway. So we're going to have Brian Clemenson, a 19-year-old broadcast major who announces those games on the radio there locally, call us at 9.30 our time. Should be some interesting info. It sounds great. Uh, I'm, I'm excited with how they're playing, uh, Kerry. From what I understand, Mikey White's hitting over 400. He was, uh, and I, I, I think he took an over today. So uh, he might be around 375, okay, 380. Okay, Mikey's listening. I'm sorry that I jinxed you, brother. <laughs> no, 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 the game's over. But, I know, that's uh, what I'm saying. If, he played if, a good uh, short today, and, and Kyle walked and scored, played a good second. Uh, but I didn't notice those. I didn't watch the whole game now. I don't have a box score. But uh, the two or three at-bats of Mikey, I saw he didn't get on. But he came into the game hitting 400. Wade came in hitting like 256, and he went like three for five with nine ribbies. Nine ribbies! Dang. I mean, some people don't get that in a month. And then uh, Georgie did not start today's game. He kind of alternates. They have four outfitters on the roster, and they kind of play them equally. Uh, Georgie did pinch hit, but he struck out in his only plate appearance, and I don't think he got into the outfield. But uh, Mikey and 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 Kyle continue to play together as they have pretty much every summer since they were kids, and now they're playing together at Alabama. So, uh, it's it's but the Brewster Whitecaps, four Bama players, and we'll hear from Brian Clemson tonight at nine thirty. Uh, but before that, uh, we have another guest coming up in just a couple minutes. Drew, why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Absolutely, I and mean, we're really looking forward to this. Just got through talking to him a few minutes ago, Kerry, to kind of let him know what we were going to be talking about tonight. But we're honored to be joined in a couple of minutes by Dennis Guile uh, from uh, Quarterback Academy uh, out in uh, Arizona. He's, uh, he's been working with Blake Barnett for about a year. Uh, he's been in te- an integral part of, of Blake's development. He's got a lot of insight into, you know, how he's developed as a player and a, and a, and a QB and, a lot, and into him as a person and his work ethic. And, you know, he's, uh, he's going to be with him at the opening uh, coming up uh, in, in just a few days from – July 5th through the 10th. Uh, this will be his second trip to the opening. Had two quarterbacks, including Kyle Allen, who I know Rodney Orr liked a lot, who signed with Texas A&M last year out of the state of Arizona. And uh, he's also tutored Brett Hundley. And so he's a guy that he, he's worked with a lot of QBs. He's very high on Blake and is going to give us a lot of insight into his development. And it's pronounced Guile? Yes. Okay. Coach Dennis Guile. The, and, and talk about, Drew, for, for the fans that – listeners that don't know exactly what it is tell us about what the opening is and and how it works and what they do there well yeah it's the opening is basically it's a there's two things that go on concurrently they have the elite 11 for the top you know 25 quarterbacks in the country who compete for a week uh, with Trent Dilfer and his coaching staff uh to decide the elite 11 quarterbacks in America uh and even though they run through a lot of the they go through drills they go through – they have a 167-page playbook they have to memorize, Carry. I mean, it's a big deal. They put a lot of pressure on you. They give you, a, a, you know, NFL-type training, uh, stuff that you – it's football heaven for a high school quarterback. It's good a, as good a development as you're going to have. And then, and then also, uh, it, with the opening, it's a lot of – there's going to be a lot of, you know, of uh, testing and drills 40 times, uh, spark training for the top 150 guys in America – and then the big thing, what, what gets a lot of TV time, is the seven-on-seven tournament. You know, Blake Barnett will be a QB of one of those teams, and they'll have a like a double elimination tournament for that week. And then uh, one of the QBs will, will uh, lead his team to victory. I think Sean White, 
who went to Auburn last year, uh, what led his team to the to the to the championship. So it's going to be very interesting. But the Elite Eleven will get a lot of buzz because of the QBs. I've seen some of the behind the scenes stuff of that before, and it was great. And so Trent Dilfer to me is one of the best analysts in the NFL. And uh, I know he was a, considered a pedestrian quarterback, but I think he was better than people think. And I think he just does a great job with those kids as far as – I think he would be a tremendous coach if he decided to go into that part of the profession. But, again, I just think Trent Dill was a special guy. And, and the opening is a big deal. I mean, it's the top well, 150 Drew, guys in the country. Speaking of coaches, we've got our next guest online, and I'm going to let you bring him in. Well, absolutely. You know, we're honored at BAMS Radio. Just got a chance to speak with this – this uh, gentleman uh, just a few minutes ago, we're honored to, to, to uh, welcome the, the Coach Dennis Guile uh, from QB, uh, the QB Academy out in Arizona, who, uh, who tutors personally Blake Barnett and has for the past year. And, Coach, uh, we welcome you to BAMS Radio tonight. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, uh, and I guess to start, uh, just kind of tell everybody about who you are and what, what, and, and what you have in, the, in, you, in your academy out there in Arizona, where, where exactly you are in Arizona and who all you've uh, worked with. So I started uh, training quarterbacks about a little bit halfway past my career when I was playing, and um, I'm out here in Arizona. Most of the time I'm in Scottsdale or, or the east part of the valley in Gilbert, Mesa area. Um, and I started uh, training quarterbacks when I when I got a call from a kid one time and said, hey, could you come help me uh, learn how to throw the football? And I said, sure, no problem. And uh knew I wasn't going to be able to play football forever, and, and a passion of mine is, is kids and, and training them. And I said, uh, you know what, I think I could do this one day, and, and this is a passion of mine, and, and why not give it a try? So um, I started training some kids, and, and they got a lot better, and, and I started teaching them some of the mechanics and fundamentals of just how to properly throw a football. And, you know, after time after time, kept coming. And I got Brett Hundley. And then it came Connor Brewer. Uh, spent a little time with Jeff Driscoll. Um, and then I had people like Kyle Allen, Luke Rebenzer. Now I got people like Blake Barnett, Ross Bowers, Brian Lewerke. And uh, the list just goes on and on. I mean, I've, I've got to do some really cool things out here. I got to do some of the quarterback getting ready for the draft and their pro days last year at API. So I think I'm on with them uh, full-time, hopefully from now on. And uh, just uh, it's, it's a job that I love and that I, I want to do for the rest of my life. Coach, well, this is, uh, this is Kerry Clark with scout.com and bamamag.com. Uh, we, we, we certainly appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, we, we, we are getting to where we have a weekly Blake Barnett segment because uh, last week we had Coach Steinberg. Two weeks ago we had Blake and Lance both on at the same time, which was really cool for <laughs> half an hour. So as part of our weekly Blake Barnett segment, tell us a little bit about what Alabama fans can, uh, can look forward to and what Blake will bring to the table in Tuscaloosa. I think first and foremost, and I think, uh, you know, looking at Alabama's program, uh, Coach Saban always does a good job of bringing in good quality kids. And I think Blake Barnett is, if there was, you know, in a dictionary a picture of a kid that defines someone that's just a great kid with a great personality, uh, you could put Blake Barnett in there. He's just a nice, humbled kid that, that wants to work and get better and not just in front of people. He does the lonely work, and he does things when no one sees it to try to get better and, uh, you know, not only is he getting a phenomenal player um, that could run the ball and throw it and that's very intelligent, but they're getting a good kid that can walk around campus and make their football program uh, better in that direction as well. 
Well, and I wanted to ask you, Coach. I mean, just kind of, just kind of talk to everybody. Tell everybody first of all how long you've been working with Blake, and uh, what what is it that you guys uh, work on on a daily basis for him to accomplish and get better. I've been working with Blake just a little bit over a year. Um, I met him at a camp that I was helping uh, Coach Mazzoni at UCLA run about a year and a half ago, and um, his parents came up to me and said, you know, where do you live at, and do you do this for a living? And I said yes, and so we exchanged information, and I started training him. And uh, when I seen Blake, I seen a lot of potential. Uh, you know, Coach Coach Dilfer and, and I uh, – have a lot of things in common when we see things in quarterbacks and I think that's why we have such a great relationship and we talk about ceilings and how high is a kid's ceiling and I think Blake Barnett's ceiling is out of this world I mean if he wants to and is capable of it barring injury he might be playing on Sundays one day um obviously every kid that I get you know I see something that I can change or I see something that I can help them get better with and that's what I try to do just help these kids get better with the tools that they have. Um, and I'm working with the full toolbox with Blake. Um, his motion was a little long. His stride was a little long. Obviously, being 6'5", that might come with the territory. So I really try to shorten up his his uh, delivery and his upper body. Um, I'm a huge biomechanics guy, just like Trent Dofer and Tom Brady and those guys that I've been around. I'm huge on biomechanics, which I learned a lot from sports science. And so what we try to do is we try to get the most out of every single throw whether you're able to stick your cleats in the ground and, and let it rip or not, um, there's a certain way to throw a football, and that's been proven through hours and hours and hours of film study and getting these quarterbacks into sports science and seeing how their body reacts when they throw the football. And so I'm huge on upper body mechanics. I'm a huge, huge upper body mechanics guy because nowadays you have people like Jadavian Clowney, like we talked about before, and these defensive ends and defensive tackles that are running four fours, four fives, four sixes. So, how often do you really drop back in the pocket and throw a football cleanly with without getting hit or without some type of chaos happening? And it's probably about 15% of the time. And so that's what I try to work on: is let me put you in as much chaos as I possibly can, and let me make you have the best possible mechanics on every single type of throw. And the upper body is huge on that. You talk about having, you know. Um, paying the test when you're throwing the football, meaning letting it go off your fingertip, getting the right release angle to be smooth past, you know, on every single throw, getting your arm past your left pocket instead of jamming your arm and stopping your arm so you can get the most torque and power out of the football. Um, and then you talk about the lower body. Um, biomechanics, you know, talk about getting as much ground force as possible. A lot of people teach quarterbacks to get up on their toes, which there's no base there's no strong base there, and there's no balance. And, and the quarterback position is about having a strong base and having great balance. And so that, that base and that ground force turns into rotational force. So you talk about putting all the cleats in the ground to get as much power off the ground and turn that into rotational force. A lot of that stuff comes from your VMO muscle on the inside of your, of your leg, or your back leg. So we try to get them to use that VMO muscle, which not a lot of people know about. And so it just stems from a lot of different biomechanical you know, issues and problems that kids have that they've never been taught and they don't understand. And I try to teach them that and put it through every type of scenario possible throwing the football. Wow. I mean, that's, that's great stuff, Coach. And I wanted to talk to you. We talked, you and I briefly touched on this, but I wanted you to let our audience know, just kind of tell everybody just how good the physical tools are for Blake. Because I'm not sure a lot of people really realize it, 
I mean, I know there's been some talk about his mechanics, and I know you've been, you guys have, in the last year have done a lot of refining of his release. But just talk about all the work you've done on his mechanics and just the overall physical tools he brings to the table. I mean, you talk about a kid with a powerful arm. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Ryan Mallett um, when he came down here and worked when he was coming out for the draft. I mean, he has a cannon for an arm. And a lot of people have questioned his arm, like me and you talked about earlier. But I can tell you this. I've worked with some kids with and some guys with some big arms. And he's he's at the top with all of them. I mean, he has a cannon just like Brett Hundley and Kyle Allen has cannons, just like Ryan Mallett. Um, his there will be no lack of arm strength ever, ever. And I don't care what type of throw it is in the pocket, off platform, off balance, on the run, whatever it may be, his arm will get the job done. There's no questions about that. I mean, there's days that he says, "Coach, let me warm up with you," and I don't want to do it because his arm is so powerful. Um, now, he does have great touch on the ball. He throws a great deep ball. I mean, to me, that's one of his best balls is the deep ball. And, you know, people like Julio Jones and those type of receivers that um, they've had in the past, and this kid um, that's coming in that reminds me of the Julio Jones, I think his name was Calvin. Um, Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley. He reminds me a lot of that. They're going to have a lot of success together because he can let it go and he can let it go far. I've seen him throw the ball 78 yards in person, so – if anyone questions it, I've seen it. Um, then you talk about his play-action ability, which goes great with Alabama. I mean, they like to run the ball, especially with probably the best three running backs in the country on their team. They're going to run the ball, and they're going to set them up for some play-actions. His play-action game is, is very good. He understands how to hide the ball and, and get the defense to react to the running back even when they don't have it. Um, and then last but not least probably would be his running ability. Um, he's a, he reminds me a lot of Marcus Mariota, which I've seen in person before throw and, and move around and he can make plays. He, his escapability is, is crazy. And if you don't believe it, just go watch his highlight film. I've seen him get out of some, some plays where I never, never would imagine he would have. And when he gets away from the defenders, his stride is so long that he just pulls away. Coach Guile, I'm glad you brought up Julio Jones. I'm, uh, enough of a Bama guy to not be ashamed to admit that he named his dog after Julio. So uh, that being said, that being said, I looked at video of, of Blake, uh, and he told us on the air a couple of weeks ago that he runs a 4-8-40. But I look at video of him running away from kids when he breaks into the open field. Now, Coach Stein, he says that's because he, he kicks it up a notch when he's afraid of being caught. Or, or getting hit, uh, but but do you feel like at some point he's going to break the four eight? <laughs> I think he's faster than the four eight. I think he's just being modest and, and humble. I I've seen him run. I I would I would really doubt he's a four eight guy. I think that's probably just the last forty he got clocked on. Um, but it might be that when he's in that game situation, he gets a little nervous and doesn't want to get hit. Um, but no, I don't think so. I don't think it's because of that. Um, I think he he's, he plays to you know the game. His game speed is a lot different from anything else. And there's a lot of quarterbacks that I have, like Luker Bender, that's at Cal from last year. If you have him run a forty, he'll be that four seven four eight guy. But you get him on a football field, and it's a whole different game speed. So you know forties don't really matter at this point until you know unless he gets a chance to go to the NFL Combine. So I wouldn't be caught up too much on the four eight because I've seen him live in game film, and he'll run away from someone. Now that's fair because we once had a player at Alabama, and I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the name Sean Alexander. 
uh, <laughs> Sean never broke a 4-7 when they timed him, but you get him out there in the open field, you never saw anybody running down. So there's a, it's, it's very much different uh, when it gets between the lines. I, I, I certainly admit that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Coach, uh, tell us a little bit about your playing background. Man, I uh, we could talk for the next couple hours. <laughs> I've been everywhere, it seems like. Um, you know, coming out of high school, I was – I went from college to junior college to central Missouri. Then I ended up coming out not knowing if I was going to get picked up in the draft, in which I didn't. I ended up being a free agent, but I played two games in arena football too. I threw 15 touchdowns in two games. And then all of a sudden my agent called me and said the Patriots were bringing me in. I spent a little time with the Patriots, um, and, and they let me go, um, and then I ended up going up to Canada and playing two years for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. From there, I left home, and I ended up coming home and playing for a year and a half uh, at home with the Arizona Rattlers of the Arena Football League. Then I went to Utah of the Arena Football League. Then I had a couple more workouts for some NFL teams. And then the Arena 1 folded, and then I ended up going to a league that kind of a lot of the guys went to um, called the Indoor Football League, which actually – I went to a great team because it was it was ran by some guys that had some money in the oil down there, and so I made pretty good money playing down there. And just kind of a wild career, to be honest with you. Um, I was blessed to play that many years. Um, obviously, I wish they all could have been in the NFL, but you know, the NFL is a hard a hard door to crack and a hard one to stay in once you've cracked it. So um, I've had I had a great career and I had fun. I think the the thing that I took out of the most is that I went to a lot of winning teams with a lot of great quarterbacks. And I had a lot of great mentors. And, and I knew that, like I said earlier, I wasn't going to be able to play forever. So I always try to learn from everyone to say, okay, what is this guy teaching me? What can he help me with to better understand the game and the position? And the coaches as well. I, I played for a lot of great coaches, and and they taught me a lot of things. And I always took notes, and I always understood what everyone was doing because my passion for the game I knew would take me into some type of coaching one day. Well, Coach, I, and I wanted you to, to touch on – yeah, you know, because what most people are never going to be able to experience what you what you saw last year and what you're going to see this year. But just kind of talk about Trent Dilfer and the opening. I was just talking about before you came on about Coach Dilfer. I and I call him Coach Dilfer. He he he's he, this is really the only the the, the the coaching he does is because he's an NFL analyst. But I think if he did it full time, he would be tremendous. But just kind of talk about the person Trent Dilfer is and what he and his staff do at the opening with these with these quarterbacks. First and foremost, I mean, Trent Dilfer has been an amazing mentor to me and, and continues to be, and I respect him as a man and as as a guy that knows everything about the position and so much about football. And you could tell that just by watching him on, on ESPN every week and during the season. Um I think the thing that really attracts me to Trent and what, why me and him are, are such good friends at this point is because his passion for these kids and how much he cares about them. Um, you know, I've heard people say in the past, you know, it's an act or does he really care? And as a human being that, that loves these kids and would do anything for them, and that's why I'm in this profession, he truly cares about these kids. Um, he's a very passionate man that would do anything to help anyone. And does he get fired up at times and and yell and do things like that? Yes, but, I mean, I do the same thing. But I think his heart is is as big as anyone's I've ever met. And he would help. He would give his own shirt, his own shirt off his back for anyone that needed it. And um, 
you know, with Elite 11 in the opening, I mean, it's football heaven. I mean, I've been a lot of places and seen a lot of cool things in football and stadiums and workout facilities and done a lot of different things and been around a lot of different high-profile athletes. And this is probably the coolest thing that I've ever been a part of, hands down. Um, I'm humbled to be a part of it. I'm so thankful um, for him choosing me to be one of his coaches. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, it's like a kid in a candy store up here at the Nike um, facilities. It's, I mean, it's the best of the best of everything. Um, they really lay out the red carpet for these kids and show them an unbelievable time. I mean, you got the best players in the country up here competing against each other, you know, for the opening. And in Elite 11, you got, the, you know, the top 18 quarterbacks in the country, you know, that we've seen that that they've made the process of saying, okay, let's select these 18 kids. And it's it's amazing. They got the, you got the best coaches in the country uh, quarterback-wise um, um, and in the opening. I mean, you talk about George Whitfield, another quarterback coach that's there. Obviously, Trent, you got people like Jordan Palmer, Craig Nall, Joey Roberts. I mean, the list goes on of how many guys they bring in to try to give these kids as much as much exposure to an NFL-style facility, game plan, anything that you can imagine to try to get them prepared for the next level to that hopefully one day they can be Heisman Trophy winners and, and go on to play in the NFL and a lot of these kids, if you look at the resumes of these little Elite 11 kids, they go on and play on the Sundays and they win Heisman trophies. And so, you know, Trent is Trent and, and Andy Bark and Brian Stump and the guys at Student Sports have put on a top-notch show for these kids. And I mean, they have the best of the best Nike stuff, stuff that hasn't even come out yet. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm so excited. I can't wait for Saturday to get here because. It's so much fun, and, um, you know, this year it's, it's kind of even going to be more special to myself because uh, Trent's allowing my 10-year-old son, who's also a quarterback, aspiring quarterback anyways, um, <laughs> he's going to let him be one of the ball boys there. So I'm really excited and fired up for this Saturday. Well, and I wanted to ask you to uh, just uh, and, uh, and just kind of tell the audience, what all, how, many, how often do you and uh, – Blake get to work together is the first part of the question. And then the second part is what is your expectations for him going into this experience? Um, Blake's parents have done an amazing job because obviously they live in California and I'm in Arizona. So it's, you know, it's not just a hop, skip and a jump around the corner. Um, but they try to get him out once or twice, at least every month and spend three, four or five days each time here. And, you know, they've, they've given their son a huge opportunity to come out here and try to get better. And I'm sure it's cost them, you know, some money to do that. And so, you know, how many times a month is not the same every time, but I work with them at least once or twice a month for four or five days. And, you know, we're talking on the telephone and, you know, if we send each other videos or whatever we do, we're always trying to, you know, help him to get better. And he's always calling me and asking me how, you know, how he can get better or what he can work on. So, um, you know, we talk every couple of days, even if he's not here and, and are trying to work on things, get better. And his mom and dad are both great at, that's keeping me in the loop, and so is he of everything that's going on, and so is his coach, Coach Steinberg. So it's a great relationship, and we get him down here as much as possible. As far as, you know, what I expect from Blake going into Elite 11 in the opening, is, is like we talked about earlier, it's just going in there and having the time of your life. You're one of 18 kids in the world that get to go experience the best fraternity in the world to me, and that's, and that's being an Elite 11 quarterback. 
And so I want him to go in there and show him what type of kid he is and how dedicated he is to this game and getting better and learning from every single guy because I'm only one guy, and I might not know something that another coach knows that can help him get better. And that's the good thing about Blake. He's very coachable, and he's very good at listening to, to coaches and taking in what everyone says and using it to his advantage in whatever possible way that is. So at the end of the day, I just want him to go in there, have a blast, be humble, respect everyone, and show him what type of kid he is, and know that he just had the time of his life, and he's part of a fraternity that will last forever. And, you know, whether he wins Elite 11 or whether he wins opening, that would be awesome. Um, that would be such a, uh, such a great accomplishment for him and his family. But at the end of the day, that's not what matters. We're here to try to make these kids better young men, and I think that's what I would like the most is for him to look back and say, you know, that experience meant so much to me because it made me a better person, first of all, and second of all, it made me a better quarterback. Well, yeah, and I agree with that 100%, Coach. And, and you know, I, that, that's the thing that struck me about him. He just seems like a worker. He seems like somebody that wants it very badly, that wants to be good. And uh, I, I'm just very excited about his future. And uh, I think he's. Uh, I think right now I'm just really excited about to see how he performs this week or coming up for the five days. I think he. I have a feeling he's going to rise to the occasion. And I know my partner Kerry Clark's got one. Got another question for you, but I wanted to want to touch base one more, with one more thing. He did uh, travel to that rivals event and, and led his uh, squad to victory. Is that correct? Yes, he did, and he did an amazing job. I, I have a kid named Christian Kirk, who's one of the best receivers in the country. That's down here. That. I'm pretty close with, and he comes and catches for me for my quarterbacks on a weekly basis, and he was on Blake's team. And Christian was also at the opening last year as a junior. I think he was one of maybe five or less that got to go as a, uh, as a, as a sophomore going to be a junior. Um, and he said Blake was just on fire. He doesn't even know how he didn't win the MVP of the whole thing. Um, but, you know, that's here nor there why he did or didn't. But he said he was just on the, on the money. He he was throwing every ball perfect, and he was leading his team, and he was being a, a team leader when the other quarterback was in there, whether he was doing good or bad, trying to help him out. So, um, you know, that that was awesome that he that his team won that, and he called me, and he was pretty excited. You know, obviously he, he called me, and he wanted to pee, but at the end of the day I said, you know, is winning, is winning a championship uh, more important than winning, you know, an MVP honor? And he even said that, you know, winning the championship meant more. He just, you know, he would have loved to win it. And I said, well, take that as, as fuel to the firing. Go try to do that at, at the Elite 11. Oh, absolutely. I will say this just before Kerry uh, comes comes back, but I have seen film of Christian Kirk coach, and he is just tremendous. Uh, he is, well, I, I can't believe there's another slot receiver as good in the country. He's got as good a film as I've seen, and uh, I think he's going to be a tremendous college player. I mean, I, I got the, the honor of coaching Speedy Noyle last year, had the opening on my team for Team Superbad, and, man, those two kids are the two of the best I've seen ever, and I'm talking about wherever I've ever played. I mean, those two kids are special. I mean, they're a quarterback fantasy. They're a dream to have, and uh, Christian Kirk is the real deal. I mean, he I, I think if he could take the beating – and understand the playbook, he could go play in the NFL right now. I mean, he's physically a specimen. Coach, I wanted to ask you sort of a off-the-wall question. That's kind of what I'm known for on this show. Uh, during your travels, Canada, New England, what have you, 
Did you ever run across former Alabama quarterback Jay Barker? Jay Barker. Okay, I guess Main not. Me and, uh, but I have not. Yeah, he did play in Canada for a number of years after he uh, he was on a couple of NFL teams, never got into a regular season game, and then he had a pretty decent career in Canada. He's now a radio guy here in Birmingham. The other question, do you ever have any interactions with uh, with the Cardinals assistants, specifically our former quarterback, Freddie Kitchens from Alabama? I have not. I have not. Oh, for two. I have not All had right. any runarounds, but I, I would love to. Yeah. I would okay. love Just to. Just curious. I'd love, uh, I'd love to meet him both in person. I know one of the guys you're talking about, but I haven't heard of him too much. <laughs> okay. No problem. Uh, well, listen, Coach, I, I really want to thank you for your time. I don't have any more questions. Do you, Drew? No, I was just going to say we, we wanted to wrap up with Coach Guy. You know, we've, we've been on here about 30 minutes. It's been a rapid 30 minutes. We've really enjoyed the insight, which I think is tremendous. Uh, we look forward uh, to touching base with you again uh, during Blake's senior season to see how he's done. And I'm sure we will speak, we'll talk and, and hear your – I'd like to hear your thoughts on the opening as well after you experience that again. But – just a tremendous uh, interview, and we really appreciated you for coming on. And I know our audience enjoyed it and getting a chance to see uh, the, the, from your perspective how Blake is getting better and what kind of kid and player he is. And we just thank you for joining BAMS Radio tonight, Coach, and we look forward to continuing the relationship. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. And anytime you need any insight or need to talk to me, just go ahead and give me a call. I appreciate it, and, and thanks for having me on the show. Thank, thank you. you so much, Coach. Well, that was a tremendous interview, Kerry, and I'm going to tell you what, uh, I hope you, as people, the audience realizes Christian Kurt, who visited Alabama, but Alabama doesn't seem to be making a push, is tremendous. I was hoping he would stay on the West Coast at Southern California, but I've been hearing, Kerry, that he may end up being Speedy Noel's teammate at Texas A&M. So you're talking about two electric performers that Great. could end up Giving uh and oh, also he, he, and and he mentioned Kyle Allen, a kid he worked with last year that went to the Elite Eleven, and he signed with Texas A and M as the QB. So, uh, you know, Kevin Sumlin's gonna have some talent in Aggieland. No doubt, no doubt. And and you know what? One of the more interesting aspects of that interview, uh, it, it was uh, at least one of the responses from Coach Kyle. It was like getting sort of a physics and human anatomy lesson on the mechanics of being a good quarterback. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did too. I really, I just really enjoyed, you know, hearing. I, I enjoyed hearing all the insight. I mean, he just, he's very technical, and you know, I enjoyed the insight into Blake as a person and player. And I'm like I told him and his parents and everybody involved. I just, I'm really excited about him. I, I I've been, you know, you know. It, you know, I've been, I've been covering Alabama now full time for six months, but I've been like yourself. We've all been recruiting fanatics, and you know, we I'm just excited about his future. And I, to me, he's got as much upside as any QB uh, that Alabama has signed ever. And I'm just really excited about his future. Well, that being said, I believe we're going to take a break now because we do have Rodney Orr coming on in a few minutes. And uh, we're going to hear a, a rare snippet of audio from a well-known Alabama assistant coach after this break. But for right now, you're listening to BAMS Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Get ready for a touchdown of savings that will make you want to do your own end zone dance. dance. 
with Atlantic Bedding and Furniture. Atlantic Bedding and Furniture. Unlike the chain furniture stores, Atlantic Bedding and Furniture gives the Bama fan a choice in fine furniture at super low prices. We have over 30,000 items always in stock. Atlantic Bedding and Furniture will have exactly what you need for your rec room, man cave, or however you wish to celebrate that latest Bama victory. Our selection includes Simmons, Serta, Broyhill, and other name brands at a fraction of what other chain stores charge. Atlantic Bedding and Furniture is close by in Pelham, Alabama on Highway 31. Come see us or check out our website at www.AtlanticBeddingAndFurniture.com. www.AtlanticBeddingAndFurniture.com. Atlantic Bedding and Furniture, the place to shop for great furniture deals with financing available. to BAMS Radio. It's two minutes after the hour. I'm Kerry Clark with BAMAMag.com and uh, Scout.com. I'm joined with uh, Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com and, of course, Thomas Watts back in the studio. Uh, we're going to try to uh, get a snippet of audio for you here that was uh, provided by 680 The Fan in Atlanta of a rare, rare, rare radio interview with Alabama defensive coordinator Kirby Smart. Do we have that, Thomas? Uh, we do. Uh, let All me right. make sure I've got my level set, and I'll okay. let her rip. All right, here All we right. go. Kirby, uh, take it. Coordinator uh, with Alabama. Let me ask you if it's a fair uh, comparison. Mark Rick spent many, many years with Bobby Bowden, had all, a lot of opportunities, was always rumored to go, and he said, we'll take a job, and we, my, me and my wife know it's the right job at the right time to spend a, uh, and raise our family and, and be in the right place. Your name obviously comes up all the time. You're at the most prolific program. You've had incredible success. 
Do you think that mindset of Mark Ritka is a good one for you and your family when the right Certainly. opportunity? Certainly. My family's so happy in Tuscaloosa. My wife loves it. We got six-year-old twins and a two-year-old. We've been very fortunate. I moved seven times the first seven years I coached. The last, I guess, eight. I'm going on eight. I've been in the same place, and my kids only know in one place. Wow. So for us, that's very comfortable. I could I could finish my career being a defensive coordinator and say, hey, he's Mickey Andrews, and I'd be happy knowing that I had success doing it and I was the best I could be at my job. But if the opportunity knocks, then so be it. I obviously won't he- that. Head coach sure. would be fun. I mean, isn't isn't that part of – Oh, yeah, that's the goal. That's, right. that's what so, I mean, the whole end all is. So talk about what – say that. You're, your goal is to be a head coach at some point sure. if it's the right place. The right place. I mean, there may be a time if I'm 45, 50 that you get a little more antsy to do it. But at 38, I'm not sitting here no. saying i got to go today in order just to take one to take it. There's so many guys I've seen careers, and I've met these coaches that mentored me, Joe Kynes, right. Kevin Steele, and every one of them says, don't just jump at the first one. Because if you get the wrong well, one, coach- it'll be the last one. There you go. That's Kirby Smart, Alabama's defensive coordinator, in a rare interview with a 680 The Fan out of Atlanta, which took place at a charity golf tournament in Greensboro, Georgia, uh, which is uh, a little bit past Covington, but not quite to Athens if you're going down I-20, uh, past Atlanta, heading east. Uh, so music to the ears of Alabama fans when they hear Kirby Smart say things like that, and uh, music to the ears of our listeners because we very rarely – get that type of audio, and uh, thanks, number one, to the fan for getting smart on the air, and number two, to uh, our producer, Thomas Watts, for downloading that clip for us. And uh, a gentleman who discussed that very clip on his TV show last night, TITV, Tider Insider TV, he joins us now again. We'd like to welcome Rodney Orr from TiderInsider.com. Rodney, welcome to BAMS Radio. Uh, Alabama fans ought to be pretty happy with that clip, huh? Yeah, I thought it was, you know, Certainly, uh, you know, from from Kirby's perspective, I think he was he was totally correct. Um, you know, Terry uh, Drew. I think when you look at that in his position, you know, you don't want to just take any job to get a head coaching job. You want to make sure it's an opportunity that gives you the best chance of success, and you know, a place where you feel very comfortable. And, uh, you know, uh, really I don't know that that, that opportunity has come up for him yet. Well, obviously it hasn't come up and, and, and worked for him, but, I, I mean, obviously there have been some you know, jobs that have come open, but just, you know, at this point not the right one. Do I think he would snatch it up if it did? Yeah, I do. You know, I think, uh, you know, Auburn you know, gave him strong consideration a couple of years ago that probably, you know, was something that was strongly considered. But other than that, I'm not sure that, you know, Kirby's really been – uh, in the mix. Well, tell us a little bit more, Rodney, about uh, we we haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks now, but just here in the last four to five days, uh, any kind of new developments going on with Alabama football recruiting with any class, 15, 16, what have you? Terry, uh-huh. I'm getting old now, and so I used to could go on these shows and just rattle stuff off the top of my head, but uh, – <laughs> You know, I, I just don't have that ability anymore. You know, getting, closing out on 54, it's getting more and more difficult. But I tell so you the what, jet black hair is gone? <laughs> long gone, but, uh, you know. Uh, it's on stage three you know, now. It went jet black to gray to, like, white. <laughs> but it's, yeah. hey, what? It's uh, still not it's, just hey, no way. I'm do. out of place, though, buddy. Uh, hold, on, hold on. I do have some pepper in there, don't. Look, don't sell me short yet. It's not totally <laughs> white. But, uh, no, seriously, um, 
you know, when you look at the recruiting class, obviously, I, you know, I think we're, we're closing in on the close at the end of the 2000. Even though there's, what, seven months left, you, you, you've got, what, about seven commitments, seven spots left. And, and you know, I think some of those, some more is going to open. You're probably talking seven to ten, you know, good guys that will be – uh, you guys will come on the list, I would think, you know, when all is said and done. And, you know, I think Alabama clearly wants another offensive tackle, at least one, um, you know, with Drew, probably Drew Richmond being one of the, the headliners there. And I think they'd love to have Marquez Ivy from uh, Florida, but I, you know, I don't see that one happening. But I do think they have a legitimate shot at Drew Richmond out of Memphis. I think he's visited a couple of weeks ago. Certainly improved Alabama's stock dramatically. Uh, they were sitting no better than third or fourth before that visit. Now, you know, they're right there. They're probably, you know, right there neck and neck with Tennessee. I would say probably slightly ahead of Tennessee. But, you know, the, I know that Butch Jones is making him a, a major priority. So that will be a be a battle to the end. Uh, you know, they have another kid coming in for, for camp here in a couple of weeks, uh, George Brown Jr. out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, you know, Alabama has offered him. I think they really want to evaluate him and see how he – you know, looks in camp. He's a guy that's about six six, kind of wide, about two sixty five, but has a ton of upside. You know, and I don't know if you guys saw the story we just put out on Lester Cotton, but uh, you know, the Tuscaloosa offensive lineman who's committed to Alabama, um, you know, one of the top offensive linemen in the country, uh, told us tonight that he's expecting uh, via conversations with you know the Alabama coaching staff to start out as an offensive tackle when he gets here. So what wow. does that do? What, what does that do in terms of, you know, your offensive line recruiting? Does that mean, you know, with, with Cotton now saying that he's going to be at least start out his career as an offensive tackle, we'll see where, you know, where it goes from there. But, you know, does that mean that opens up another spot for an interior guy, maybe a Brandon Kennedy, maybe a James Daniels out of Ohio who's coming down to visit here? We just I just posted a story a few minutes ago on him out of Warren, Ohio. Uh, you know, where you open a, you know, a spot to take a guy like that. Now, again, I'm not saying that Daniels or Kennedy, for that matter, are leaning to Alabama. It's not what I was saying. But does it open a spot for another interior guy? You know, we'll just have to see. Well, Rodney, I think there's no doubt. You know, I, I, I saw Lester Cotton along with uh, along with uh, your, uh, your, your your lieutenant, Lee, Lee Richards. Uh, we, we were able to see him at the Spain Park Combine. He has legit size. I think in a lot of ways he could probably be a right tackle in Alabama's system. I think, you know, and now it's big. I recently, I'm about to post a story, but I spoke to Brandon Kennedy recently, and the interesting part with his recruitment is he has still not discussed the depth chart with Alabama's coaching staff. He expects to come to camp in July and discuss that. I'm sure they're going to discuss with him where he fits into the depth chart. And, of course, now with Lester Cotton maybe starting out at right tackle, that's very interesting. If you could get a Drew Richmond, he could maybe play the left side. That would be your two offensive tackles. And then, of course, of course Pettibon and, uh, is a very, very good player in Dallas Warmack. But I think, really, uh, Brandon Kennedy is elite. I think they're going to try to make a push for him. And with Lester Cotton, I really I like his explosion. He does need to work on his pass blocking a little bit, but I just think that's a development issue. But he's a tremendous athlete, and I just felt like he was easily the best lineman that I saw in Birmingham. Yeah. You know, and they've got some interior guys obviously committed. You mentioned Warmack, Pettibone. Uh, you know, Cotton could go either way. Uh, 
you know, so again, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what direction they go on the offensive line. And again, I'm like you, Drew. I really like Brandon Kennedy out of Wetumpka. You know, I think he's a guy that could be a a really good player down the road, whether it be a center or as a guard. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch how this all kind of unfolds. You know, and then you know, obviously Alabama has some other areas that they're they're going to focus on. Still, would like to get a power blocking tight end. Not sure who that you know will exactly be. Um, you know, you look on the defensive side, uh, you know, you've got guys like James Lockhart still out there who could play jack linebacker, could play inside linebacker. You've got Ricky DeBerry from Virginia could kind of do the same thing. Those are two guys that I think are really excellent players. You know, there's uh, clearly other players that are going to be making visits here pretty soon. So, um, you know, again, I, I just think when you look at it, Alabama's in on a lot of players right now and, you know, trying to predict which way it'll go you know, how this class will finish out, you know, it's just really difficult right now. Rodney, I keep hearing a lot about a safety, a kind of a late bloomer, maybe a Ronnie Clark type of guy uh, mm-hmm. by the name of Matthews who may be visiting Alabama soon. Well, there's a kid, uh, Matthews, I'm not sure exactly who you're talking about, Matthews, but um, – I know that Ronnie Harrison is a guy. That's who I'm talking about. I'm sorry, Ronnie Harrison. I'm getting yeah, old. Yeah. Ronnie Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, uh, but, but is Ronnie, a writer. Yes. Ronnie Harrison is a you know very talented guy. I mean, he came at an outstanding camp in early June at Alabama and. You know, got the offer, six two and a half, two oh five or so, and uh, you know, good speed, very good athlete. You know, I've heard people say that he's one of the best safeties that's come through any of Alabama's camps since Saban's been here. So, you know, he's committed to North Carolina. We had a story on him, I think it was yesterday. And uh, he's coming back down here on July the eighteenth with his parents to take another visit, let them see the place and you know, he went back to North Carolina after he was at camp at Alabama this this in, in June. And, uh, you know, he really likes North Carolina a lot. feels like he fits in. It feels like home to him. He's got a great relationship with coaching staff there. They've recruited him a long time. You know, Lance Thompson has recruited him for quite a while at Alabama, too. And Lance convinced him, uh, even though he's been committed to North Carolina for over a year, to come to the Alabama camp and allow, you know, the other coaches to see him. And he did. That's when he really kind of took off, I think, in Alabama's eyes and got the offer and, you know, we'll see what happens with him. I think he's an outstanding player. And then, you know, of course, Jamal Peters out of Bassfield, Mississippi, named in Alabama, his number one team, at least for now. And he's a standout safety as well. You know, again, I think when you look at Jamal Peters, and he's a great athlete and all of that, but I think that his recruitment's really going to go, you know, I, I, I have a hard time believing that if Jamal Peters committed, you know, within the next 30 days that, that uh, it would be, Firm. And I don't say that anything to him. I just know that there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure and effort in that state from Ole Miss, and especially, in my opinion, Mississippi State's probably even a bigger threat with him. So, um, you know, those are a couple of guys to watch. And, you know, as we, we talked repeatedly about Rico McGraw, who is committed to Georgia out of Nashville, and he's a safety slash corner type guy, too, that uh, Alabama's been very strongly involved with. Yeah, Rodney, and I can add some insight to that. I spoke to Jamal Peters. We'll be posting a story tomorrow, but I spoke to him tonight for about 15 minutes. 
you are correct. Alabama is in, 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 you know, in the lead, but Mississippi State will be a heavy factor. Uh, they will be the only in-state school he's right now planning to officially visit. Uh, he want, His mother wants him to take four out-of-state visits. Um, you know, he, he, he really likes the depth chart of safety at Alabama right now. He told me that's what really put them to the top. But, you know, he, he also really likes the staff at Mississippi State. I think they've really done a really good job recruiting him. And if he wants to, and as of right now, he told me he does not want to commit and then decommit. He, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's afraid that would happen if he committed at this time. So I think he's going to be a kid that he, uh, he, he's trying to decide whether or not to enroll early. Uh, he's still discussing it with his high school principal. But uh, at this time, I think he's going to, he's going to wait until much later in the process. And if Alabama can, can flip Ronnie Harrison, and I think, I, we, I don't know if we've mentioned this, Rodney, but I think it's going to help Alabama with this NCAA investigation in North Carolina. I hate to bring that up, but it's a, it's a factor, I would think. And then with, if you can get Ronnie Harrison and, uh, and, and Rico McGraw flip, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what your opinion is, but I'm not sure Alabama would take three safeties and you three more. So. Now, one thing I know about Big Saban is he, the evaluation process and the recruiting process is ongoing, and, and it continues. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I've never seen him turn out a great player. And, uh, you know, so it would be interesting to see. But, you know, I do think Ronnie Harrison's a guy that they really like and would take his commitment. That's just my opinion based on, you know, some things that I've heard. And uh, I think they'd certainly love to have Ronnie Harrison uh, in the fold. And, you know, when you look at Alabama, Well, I think we might have lost Rodney there. We just lost him. I'll try and get him back. Just a we'll second. get him back. And just just to fill the time a little bit, Drew. Uh, one thing I want to ask Rodney, but while we're waiting to get him back, I'll ask you: What's the more likely scenario, Drew? Uh, Will Gregg joins this class, or Alabama just decides to let Anthony Jennings play tight end? Well, I think they're going to have a, make a very very strong push for Will Gregg when he comes back from the opening and comes to camp, Kerry. Uh, I don't think Will is going to work out. I think he's just going to visit, but he he's visited four times, and uh, and I think he's he's really seriously considering him. Uh, he's also I don't know if you know this, Kerry. I know you talked to John Garcia, who does a tremendous job for Scout, but he's he's transferred high school. Uh, he's transferred from Pine Bluff to Dumas High School. His dad is now the superintendent of the school district over there. Uh, they, Pine Bluff was a school that, and I, I posted my story about this on Greg today, that threw, that, that, that was like John Curtis, T. Curtis High School in River Ridge, Louisiana. They threw him the ball 300 yards per game. Now Dumas is going to be throwing for 300 yards. So he's going to be playing in more of a spread attack. He's going to be having to refine his route running skills. It'll probably help him develop. He's already considered a good run blocker and playing in a run-oriented attack. Uh, and I think, really, he, he tells me that Coach Billy Napier who's done such a great job recruiting the state of Arkansas with all T. Tenpenny and Josh Frazier the last two years, that Hale Hinkett and himself have been the top two tight end targets. So we will see if that's the case. Uh, I do think Arkansas is very, very going to be tough because that's where his brother Chris Gregg played and was a three-year starter and then a four, three-, four-year starter and is now with the Buffalo Bills. But if, if it, it's, it's been proven. I wasn't sure that Alabama could pull Tenpenny and Josh Frazier the last two years and they have. I think Alabama is going to be in it until the very end for Greg. And the one good thing, if Greg decides to leave the state, he told, he told me it would be tough, but he would do it if that was what was best for he and his family, if he is going to enroll early and he will not have to wait till February. That's a good thing. But it's good to know that if Arkansas does win that battle, 
that Anthony Jennings has proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that he can be an inline tight end. Oh, absolutely. He's a great athlete. And I think yeah, that I mean, and I think that's what the coaching staff likes a lot about Anthony. They like his versatility and, and, and what all he brings to the table. And I think he could easily I mean he doesn't have ideal height. He's only six foot two, but again, he's two hundred and sixty pounds and as you say, as he told us, he he likes to he likes to tear people up. And the physicality is he does not bother him. That's not me saying that's Medea saying that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we had Barbara, We should have had her on for Anthony uh, Jennings, man. He would have died. I'm like, I, I got to start back doing that. That was awesome. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we have a little bit of a delay trying to get, uh, trying to get Rodney back. No, we'll... I've got him back. Sorry. Okay. Well, Rodney, I don't know why we have to. Uh, we. I tried to tell to... you all, but didn't check your phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Rodney, welcome back. We were, uh, we were discussing the tight end situation. Uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, what's the most likely scenario? Alabama signs Will Gregg or Alabama decides that Anthony Jennings is an inline tight end? Most likely scenario. Well, you know, Kerry, I've learned that the most likely scenario today isn't the most likely scenario tomorrow in recruiting. I mean, you know, it, it, it changes. It's just like a few weeks ago. You know, when everybody knew that Blake Barnett was going to come take a visit to Alabama, but nobody believed he would probably end up here. Everybody expected him to end up at Oregon. You know, people thought, well, maybe Alabama ends up with Travis Waller. But if you had to make a most likely guess, most people thought it would be maybe Quentin Dormady, even though Alabama probably didn't have a firm offer to him at that point. But, um, you know, and it ends up Blake Barnett. So things change. Now, to your question, I, you know, Kerry, I, I would say that, uh, you know, at this point, I think Greg's got a chance. Um, I think he certainly likes Alabama quite a bit. I talked to him, you know, last week, and I think that he does does like Alabama quite a bit. But I, but I think Alabama's investigating some other options too, just as he is looking at Ole Miss and he's looking at Arkansas and maybe a couple of others. But but I think uh, you know it'll be interesting to see how Greg does at camp. I think you know. Here's a guy that was at camp last year. He's been to, been on campus several times, you know, and he's coming all the way back from Arkansas again to participate in another Alabama camp. So that's that's really interesting to me, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I'll be interested to hear exactly, you know, what kind of performance he, he puts on at camp, and I think maybe that could determine a long way where, you know, everything stands. Well, and I think I think it will too, Rodney. I agree. I mean, I I think the camp's going to go a long way to see how serious you know Will Gregg is. I think uh, obviously Arkansas will be a big factor in recruitment. Also, he is very interested in Ole Miss, LSU. Uh, some new schools have started to get involved. I think Southern California, Louisville. Um, so it, we'll see what happens with that. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think he's a, a good kid, a good young man. I think he's talented. But as you said, there's going to be so many options out there, you know, and then. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where the class goes because if, if Lester Cotton, if the staff really believes that he can play tackle and then they turn up that he can get Drew Richmond, it may be that uh, you could definitely see him make a big run at Brandy Kennedy at the camp. I'm going to be very interested to see what happens there because I'm like you. I think he's a tremendous player. And I, I, I want to – I'd really – I think uh, you always want to try to get the in-state OLs. And I think uh, the quality ones, because they don't grow on trees. And, and I think it's going to be a definite Alabama-Auburn battle. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that one uh, falls. 
And then Ronnie Harrison's very interesting watching his film and watching the, the, the common denominator. We had Deontay Thompson on tonight, Rodney. He's six foot two, uh, you know, and and obviously that that's that's the thing that struck me about Ronnie Harrison. He's a bigger safety. He's six foot two, and so and and obviously uh, the kid from Baseville, Mississippi, that I talked to tonight. He he's a tremendous athlete, and he he told me he's a legit six foot two and a half. So uh, Coach Saban he loves to the big safeties, and it looks like regardless of what happens that uh, whoever is in the pecking order, they're going to be able to bring in some talent. And I think, without a doubt, as we talked about before you came on the show, one of the big needs in the class is a talent upgrade at safety because they're going to be losing three or four, uh, actually three after 2014. Yeah, they've got to bring some guys in. That's what I was saying just as we were, you know, I got cut off the air. You know, right. certainly when you're a prospect out there and you're, you know, a safety prospect especially, and you see Alabama right now and you look at their situation, you know, they're going to lose some guys. Uh, you got uh, uh, Geno Smith to be back, but they're losing Jarek Williams. Nick Perry probably going to lose Landon Collins to the draft. I mean, you're talking about three safeties. And the only guy you're really coming back with that's, that's got any experience as we enter this season would be Geno Smith. Uh, you know, off the top of my head. So, I mean, that you know, certainly there's an opportunity for, you know, some guys to come in, especially these guys that can enroll early now and go through spring practice. So that that would be certainly beneficial to to those guys that that, that to have an opportunity to play as freshmen at Alabama. I wanted to ask you, Rodney, about some of other names that have committed to come to the July camp later this month, uh, and 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 how much of a shot Alabama really has. I know it's great to get them on campus. As we always say, if you get them to visit, you got a chance. And that's true. That's always been proven true. But, like, for example, I'm, I'm not really clear if Alabama's done yet in this class at the running back position. And with them committed to come to camp, I'm, I'm wondering, is there a legitimate shot at, at Jacques Patrick? Well, you know, uh, everybody thinks he's going to Florida State. You know, they say he's Florida State's to lose, and I understand that. That's that's probably pretty accurate. I mean, but, again, anything could happen when you get them on campus, you know, and have an opportunity to, to you know, show them your, your program. I mean, again, I go back to Blake Barnett and how that changed dramatically. And John- oh, come on. Ah, <laughs> oh, the cell phones. Yeah, that, that's on his end, I think. No, he's still with us. It's oh, you still there, Rodney? Right? Yeah, I'm still he's here. Just cut out. Okay. Yeah, okay. We're, the audio we're sorry, Rodney. We thought your phone was we lost you again. All right, my fault. I, I thought Carrie didn't like what I was saying about Jack West tactics. <laughs> no, I'm good with it so uh, far. Uh, but no, I, I just think when you look at it, if, if he, you know, you never can really tell what's going to happen. I mean. You know, and I look at the running back position. People talk about it and say, well, Alabama's loaded. Yeah, but what happens if after this year Yeldon and Drake decide to leave and then all of a sudden you got Derrick Henry and, you know, who knows what could happen with another year of Derrick Henry. Uh, then all of a sudden you got, you know, Alti Tenpenny and Tyron Jones. And, I mean, you know, you, you can start running thin pretty quickly. Just when you think you have a lot of them, then you turn around and you don't have as many as you thought. So, you know, whether or not running back is a – a top priority, uh, you know, I I don't know, but you, if you've got a chance to get a great one, you certainly take him, in my opinion. When you talk about these running back injuries, you, you just gave me a, a bad Josh Smith flashback. <laughs> yeah. huh. well, you know, yeah, the I mean, one I... thing about it is 
that, uh, you know, again, like I said, and I remember Mark Godfrey told me one time early in his career here at Alabama when he was recruiting extremely well as a coach, you know, you've signed a bunch of great players. And he said, the one thing I've learned, Rodney, is you never have enough. So, yeah, and that's kind I of agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind Speaking of the way of great it players. is. Speaking of great players, uh, you know, Rodney, because of, I guess, his mom's comments in the Atlanta paper, in my mind, Adonis Thomas is almost a private commitment to Florida, but he's having this dramatic build-up to this announcement where it's Alabama or Florida. Uh, isn't it fair yeah. to say that's about 95-5 to 5 Florida? Well, I mean, I've always thought he was probably going in that direction. You know, again, you, you never really know, but, I mean, he's, I know that when, even when they visited here, oh, I think he and his mom came here previously, and, you know, after that visit, uh, you know, they, they were sure, certainly impressed with Alabama or they – Skype would say, but I can't remember the exact details of it. But you know, they had a they had a great uh, uh, you know in terms of a great impression of Alabama. But I always kind of felt like Florida was the team to beat. Uh, I would agree with Rodney there. I think they're a big. I think I think they're more a much more a factor with Adonis than uh, I think Alabama has a better chance of someone like C.C. Jefferson than they do Adonis Thomas. And I, Thomas, I think Thomas is. It's going to end up being a Gator uh, on August the first, uh, you know, and, and just like I thought, it was interesting with, the, with what Rodney mentioned earlier about the QB dominoes. I thought Travis Waller would end up at Notre Dame, but our, he ends up at Oregon because obviously once Oregon missed out on Blake Barnett, they got Waller, and I wish Waller, who was uh, on this show, all the luck in the world, that he was a class kid. He well, was. Let me, let me, Drew. I, I think when you when you talk about you know a commitment on August the first. I mean, you yeah. know, we got we have a we have a season we have a season to play, as you know. We have a season to play. Yeah, a lot yeah, of things can change. I mean, you know, I think you know when you look at Florida specifically, I think, you know, again, all due respect, I think Muschamp has to, you know, certainly improve upon last season and and probably oh. dramatically, dramatically so. <laughs> and uh, or you know, there could be some changes at Florida, and then how would that affect mm-hmm. recruiting? You never really know. Um, you know, a guy like T.C. Jefferson lives 45 minutes from the campus. Now, I've talked to his coach several times, and you know, he's a great guy. And he, he just says, listen, he, he said, you know, everybody expects him to go to Florida. You know, that's what everybody says. But he, he felt like Alabama was certainly a team that was very strongly in the mix. Now, you know, something could go awry and C.C. Jefferson could end up at Alabama. question is, what if, he, what if he did end up at Alabama? Does he bring a guy like Byron Cowart with him? I mean, I say bring wow. him with him. There's been talk about a package deal, uh, you know, and if that were the case, uh, of course, all that's speculation. I understand that they would like to probably play together, but, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen to affect uh, uh, recruiting over the next several months. Yeah, I agree, Rodney. And let's not forget, they could even uh, affect guys Alabama has currently committed, even a guy like Makai Brown, who's been committed for a long time, but there's been a lot of rumors and speculation about the uh, how solid his commitment is all about. Yeah, you know, you, you, he's been one of the top recruiters in the class, so to speak. I mean, he certainly publicly, anyway, presents a uh, image that uh, you know he's strongly committed and that um, you know he's he's right. trying to help Alabama secure other players. You know, we'll we'll see what happens again. You know, I said before this cycle really kind of got going full force that uh, this would probably be the year of the flip, so to speak, that you would probably see more right. flips and you think it's becoming kind of the goal. And, uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of them already, not not necessarily from Alabama, but, 
you know, maybe certainly Barnett's a big timer that flipped Alabama, but um, you know, I, I think as time goes on, we we're probably going to see some things uh, change. I think there's no doubt. I think especially, I think what one one factor you brought up, Rodney, is the Florida situation. If uh, if Will Muschamp does not at least win eight football games and go eight and four and get to a solid bowl game, I agree with you. He's probably out. They're in on a lot of really good players, especially in the state of Florida. If uh, there's a change made there, depending on who Jeremy Foley brought in, uh, because of the relationships, you know, would have to be fostered. But there could be several guys uh, that would be back out on the board. And, and Alabama's involved with, with a lot of those guys. And, that, yeah, I think, they're, again, if they, I, I do – but I will say this. I think you will both agree on it. Alabama's going to sign a really, really good class. I think it's going to be a special class. I don't know if it will be as deep as this past year's. Looks like it could be. But I don't think there's any question that uh, he – there, you never want to say anything's a lot, but there's an above-average chance that Coach Saban and the staff could end up with another number one class in the country. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's other teams. That obviously, Ohio State what, got a couple of quote-unquote five-stars today. Uh, really yeah. good players. Hilliard, the linebacker, Justin Hilliard, and Jason, uh, what's the kid's name up in Minnesota, the defensive lineman? Uh, Cornell? Uh, yes, Jason Cornell, that's him. Um, yeah, I mean, he was an excellent – he's obviously an excellent player too. And, uh, you know, Texas A&M's had a great year. I think when Kyler Murray, the quarterback, committed to them, it kind of – solidified them in, in guys, some other players' minds, some other prospects' mind. I think he, uh, you know, is kind of going to be a catalyst for them. Uh, so they're, they're you know, doing really, really well out there. I think they're probably the leader for um, Malik Jefferson. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything lately on him the last week or so unless something's changed. But, uh, you know, he's an excellent outside linebacker prospect from Mesquite, Texas, uh, who Alabama, I think, is probably right there near the top of his list, too. So, and he's supposed, yeah, to, in fact, in fact, he's supposed to come for a visit here in a couple of weeks along with his teammate, DeAndre McNeil, who is a, what, could play tight end, could play linebacker, I guess, but could be an H-back, uh, probably more of an H-back than he is a, a, a you know, pure tight end. Well, I'm going I'm to say something, Rodney, but we're going to be wrapping up with him just in a second, but I've watched some film with DeAndre McNeil. If, if they don't make, if they don't think they're going to make a huge push at Will Gregg, I could see them, especially if he works out well, but DeAndre McNeil's film is really good on offense, and I think he could definitely factor in as far as at the H-back tight end spot. He could. He just, you know, as far as size goes, and, you know, uh, he's not really that big. I think he's, what, about 6'2", 230 maybe. Right. Uh, so he's not really prototype in terms of that inline tight end. He would have to be probably more of an H-back. And the kid out of uh, – Kid I really like too, and he's not really very tall, but he's out of Louisiana. That bright Keith and Moton. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that guy is very athletic. I mean, he's about six one and about two fifty, I think. And uh, man, I mean, he is he's he's a good looking player. Now a lot of people think he'll end up at LSU, but uh, he, he you know camped at Alabama I think earlier, and you know he has an Alabama offer, so. Uh, you know, he's another guy that's been in the mix, and I know there are others as well. But uh, you know, I think that really finding a, a power blocking tight end, but at the same time, a guy who has the ability to catch football some, is a uh, you know one of the priorities as, as the class starts to wind down. 
Well, Rodney, we promised we'd only keep you half an hour tonight, and uh, I, I want to thank you for your time. It's great information, as always. Uh, we hope to have you on here at least once a month going forward, and I certainly appreciate your time, and I know Drew does too. And that's uh, So with that being said, uh, we really thank you, Rodney. Thank you, Rodney. Carry on. Carry on. I appreciate you and Drew. Take care. Have a great rest of the show. Will do. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, Rodney Orr, the owner of TiderInsider.com, with another Alabama recruiting update. And uh, we already have our next guest on hold. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring him on live now. I want to welcome in Brian Clemenson to BAMS Radio. Uh, Brian is a student broadcaster who handles the play-by-play for the Brewster Whitecaps of the Cape Cod League. And Brewster features four Alabama baseball players on their team this summer, one of which had a heck of a day today in Wade Wass. Uh Brian, how's it going tonight, brother? Great. Thank you for having me on tonight. Oh, we're glad to have you. And Brian got a special treat today when he got to the game. Uh, actually, just mistakenly, well, not really mistakenly, by chance I got off work early today, and I got home, and there on the television is uh, Fox Sports Atlantic carrying Brewster's game. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to watch some Bama guys. And then around the third inning or so, they brought on Brian, a 19-year-old college student who got to call a, a little bit over an inning of the game today on Fox TV. That had to be a great thrill for you, Brian. Oh, it was just outstanding. I figured I was going to be on, that's what I was told. I figured they would just ask me some questions because I went on the radio station here when they had the Sunday night game of the week, uh, last week, the Whitecaps, and then they tell me I'm doing play-by-play for innings, so it was just an absolute thrill. Here on BAMS Radio, uh, and this is partly due to the makeup of your team that you're calling the games for, we like to say that a Whitecap is merely the tip of a Crimson Tide. (laughs) And I say that (laughs) because you have four Alabama players on your team one of which had a heck of a day today. Tell our listeners what exactly Wade Wass did today for Whitecaps. Well, let's just start off, I guess, with the basic numbers, three for five, and get into what actually happened. Wade had an RBI double in the game and also two grand slams in the ball game. The one grand slam was the icing on the cake tonight late in that game, and Whitecaps were able to break their two-game losing streak. He drove in nine runs tonight, and that might be a league record. We're trying to look and see whether that's the case or not, but it might be. It was an extraordinary day, and Wade has put the team on his back the last few games. He's been in there. Also a big home run for a come-from-behind come behind win on June 28th against the Chatham Anglers, so his bat is really starting to heat up. And Wade has improved dramatically, listeners, uh, when, the, when the season began at Alabama, Brian Wade was not the starting catcher. He was the DH, and a true freshman was catching. And then late in the year, the freshman got injured, and Wade took over behind the plate with about a month to go in the season. And he struggled at first. I'm not going to lie to you, Brian. Uh, there were a lot of pass balls. There were wild pitches that probably should have been blocked. But I will tell you, the young man has come a million miles in his defense behind the plate. And he's looked good defensively so far for the Whitecaps. Hopefully he can keep that up. Got off to a little bit of a slow start at the plate, but now he is just just loose, and no one's going to stop him. It seems like right now the way he's swinging the bat, and with the nine RBIs, he's now leads the Cape League in RBIs. Well, and you've brought- got a you've got a middle infield. Uh, I don't know if you know the full story, but um, Kyle Overstreet and Mikey White have played together in various summer leagues since they were like twelve or thirteen. They know each other like the back of each other's hands, and, of course, they are the shortstop and second baseman for Alabama. Talk a little bit about uh, how they've looked offensively and defensively in the young part of the season. 
Well, Mikey White has just been outstanding defensively since the moment he has gotten here. He's in 364 at the end of tonight's game. He went 0 for 5 tonight, but the previous night when the club was playing, they had an off day on the first of the month, and it was yesterday. But on the 30th of June against Orleans, he went 4 for 5 with an RBI. And then the game before that, he went 3 for 4 with two home runs in that ball game. So he's swinging a very good bat, and defensively, he has just been outstanding. Made an error tonight. I didn't agree with the scoring. It's sort of like a hop because the infield at Stony Brook Field isn't exactly the best with the lip, and it hit the lip, and it took a bounce off his chest to keep it in front of him, but they ruled him there. I think it should have been a hit. It took a really bad hop on him, but besides that error, he's been outstanding. And how about Overstreet? How's he done so far offensively and defensively? Uh, Overstreet, 269 to begin his campaign this year at the Whitecaps. Has four runs batted in. He's walked 10 times and 26 at bats, and he just finds his way on base. And defensively, Whitecaps have had him at third base. He had one game where he made three errors playing the hot corner, but whenever he's been at second base, he's been very good. And that one game where he made the three errors at third base only happened once. Other than that, he's been brilliant at third base. Yeah, his natural position is second. I can tell you that firsthand. And finally, uh, I'll preface this next question before I pass it over to my partner, Drew DeArmond. Uh, Georgie Salem's mom is a, is a regular caller on this show. Uh, I don't know if she's listening tonight or not. She, she may or may not be. But uh, Georgie seems to be struggling a little bit at the plate and uh, apparently not the starting center fielder as he is for Alabama. Uh, what exactly is going on with Georgie and the Whitecaps right now? Well, Georgie got off to not the best of starts with Brewster at his game log. I believe it was pretty close to going 0, to, 0 for 16 to begin his Cape campaign before he got a base hit. So he's starting to look a little bit better and more comfortable up there at the plate, at least from what I've seen watching, as he has uh, around uh, three hits in his last 12 at-bats. So he's starting to come to life, but unfortunately the team is very deep in center field. Braden Bishop from Washington is on the team, and he's played very well since arriving late. I think he had a class to finish up at Washington, so that's why he was late. But I think it's just because there's so many guys. I think Georgie's just going to really have to do a better job of proving himself to the coaching staff that he could be out there because right now there's just so many outfielders that are playing well on the ball club. Well, and, and Brian, this is Drew DeArmond of Alabama. And I've, I've always been fascinated by the Cape Cod. Like, I think it's the best, you know, summer league in the, in the, in the, in the country, uh, especially for college players. And you, it, it's so, it, that's where you get seen by so many scouts, but, how, uh, overall, for our listeners who may not be as familiar, how many teams are in the league and how, how is Brewster as far as what are the, where are they in the standings this time? Uh, there are ten teams in the league. There are two divisions. There's an eastern and western division, five, div- five teams in each division. And the Whitecaps are in the eastern division. The last two years they've uh, come in last place and have not made the playoffs and four to five teams from each division make the playoffs because the Cape League wants to have as many games going on in August as possible when a lot more tourists come to the Cape so people can go anywhere and find a game. So right now they are tied for uh, fourth place with the Yarmouth Dennis Red Sox who have 16 points and the Whitecaps have 16 points as well. And the reason why they have a point system in the Cape League is because there are ties because Stony Brook Field where the Whitecaps play and a few other fields do not have lights. So once it gets dark, oh. the game, unfortunately, is called. And also, there's a new rule 
rule that's for its second year that's been implemented. If game cannot go more than 12 innings, if it's tied after 12 innings, the game will end in a tie just to save the arms or pitchers. So it's a pretty nice thing that they do so you don't burn all your pitchers because guys are on innings limits when they come, and guys have played a lot in a full college season on top of 44-game season with the Cape. Absolutely. And, and kind of for our listeners, who is the manager slash coach of the Whitecaps, and, and and does that change on a year to year basis, or is it, or do they keep the same uh, the same head coach from year to year? Uh, John Altabelli right now is the coach of the Whitecaps. He's in its third season as the head coach. He was the bench coach the year before, so it's his fourth year total with the club. Okay. So as of right now, I'm figuring he'll be back because they usually bring the coach back every year. Brian, he seems to have mind. a strong connection with Alabama, though, and getting guys. Because before, uh, at least going back, when you look at rosters from previous years, there weren't really a whole lot of guys from Alabama on there. But ever since he's been coach, he's really found some good talent from there. The smart man. Uh, if you don't mind, Brian, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background. I understand that you're currently a college student. Uh, where do you go to school? Uh, what year are you? And uh, just kind of give uh, us a little about your broadcast background. I'm going to be a junior at Keene State College in New Hampshire. I'm from Stanford, Connecticut. I've been coming to the Cape since I've been just really young. My family's always had a summer house up here, so just been going to Cape League games like my whole life. Been going to Whitecap games because my family had always vacationed at Brewster. So this is just really a dream job that I got when I interviewed with them. And at school, I do a whole lot of broadcasting there. I'm the field hockey play-by-play broadcaster at school. Also, the men's and women's basketball play-by-play broadcaster and the baseball play-by-play broadcaster at Keene State. And that's a Division Three school in New Hampshire. They're in the Little East Conference. That is excellent. And I understand this is your second season calling the Whitecaps games? Uh, I guess um, two and a half years now calling because I was an uh, intern with the Whitecaps doing stats in the broadcast booth. Uh, before I went to Keene State for my freshman year, and one of the broadcasters had to go home early for the summer. So instead of like having the broadcaster was there do all the games by himself, they were like, okay, you're doing stats, but you want to get into this. So they're like, here's your audition. you got half a season to prove whether you're going to get the job next year or not. And I passed wow. the test, and I've been there since. That's great stuff, man. I, my first gig back in the mid-'90s, I'll never forget, I was – brought in to do stats for high school football and then was told I was going to be on the air. And then my first question was live. I mean, that's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a different experience, but I really got in, to enjoy it. And I've done a lot of high school football and never had the pleasure of doing baseball. I think it would be a great thing, but I guess I, just for our listeners too. And I just, I got through saying that it's the best league in the country, but just kind of for everybody's, uh, for who, for our audience, Tell everybody really how good the league is because I really think it's the best of the best as far as and, – and, and, and do you know how many pro scouts are there every game? I'm sure there's a lot. No, there's quite a bit right now as we're heading into the height with like July 4th being this Friday. So usually up until the All-Star game, which is towards the end of July, there will be quite a few scouts. And after that, the scouts start to die down. So usually then the players are sort of like antsy to go home, but you still want to play just for like pride's sake and – still do a good job out there, but you could have some nights anywhere from, like, one scout to, like, probably 30, and some nights the scouts can't even get in the area that's designated for scouts. That's how many there are. And, Brian, something our listeners may not realize, but uh, I know you're fully aware of it, uh, this is actually a wood bat league as opposed to these kids that are playing with aluminum bats in college. 
Yeah, it is, and that's just, it's just great how they get to use the wood here. But also, one thing I've noticed from, like, watching this, like, coming up, like, every summer, just, like, on vacation, the offense seems to be up the last few years. I think the reason for that is because they have the BB Corp bats at school, which simulate the wood. So I feel as if there's not that much of an adjustment period for the hitters. It's more of an issue for the pitchers because the pitchers are just doing their same old thing, and the hitters don't really have to adjust because the bats are so similar and they simulate the same thing. Well, uh, what we'd like for you to do, first off, I want to thank you very much for calling into our show tonight. What we'd like to do is, as soon as the season concludes, uh, if we could get you back on to kind of give us a wrap-up of how our four guys did for Brewster, that would be very much appreciated, Brian. Oh, that would be great. I'd love to come on again. All right, and you sound great. Are you actually on a cell phone, or did you Skype in with a, a headset and all that? Uh, no, I'm actually using a landline at my house. I was going to use my cell phone, but I said, you know, it'd probably be better to do it from a landline. Uh, and it was a great call. Uh, Aaron, now we have guests that appear to be on cell phones obtained at Walmart or on the black market or whatever. You sound great. <laughs> you sound great. I really appreciate you calling on a landline. And uh, I, I want to thank you. That wasn't that funny. I want to thank you uh, for your time, Brian, and for the great updates you gave us. And uh, certainly today, using a wood bat did not seem to bother Mr. Wade Wass at all, right? Uh, no, it did not. The first ball is absolutely crushed, probably close to 400 feet to left of the scoreboard in left field. And the other, the second one, I feel, was more remarkable, his second grand slam of the day, because that was just a line shot that went right over the left field fence. Wow. Well, again, I want to thank you for your time, and we will be back in contact with you. Uh, great having you tonight on BAMS Radio. Uh, just to let you know a little bit more about the show, what we do here is we talk Alabama football, basketball, baseball, softball, and recruiting. And uh, okay. by, by giving us this update on how four of our guys are doing in the summer league, you have provided a great service to our show, and we thank you very much for it. And we look forward to having you again just after the season ends uh, Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, right. Brian. Thank you for That's having Brian me tonight. Clemenson. Oh, we're Thank very you, glad Brian. to have you. That's Brian Clemenson, the broadcaster for the Brewster Whitecaps of the Cape Cod League, a league that, while they use wooden bats, uh, our own Wade Wass, Alabama's catcher, belted two grand slams and had an RBI double tonight as he went, or this afternoon as he went three for five. Very interesting stuff there about a wooden bat league, Drew. Oh, it really is, and it's the best league in the country. That's on my bucket list, Kerry. One of these days I'd like to go down there during the summer and watch a couple of games because the competition is so good. Uh, that's how Peter Gammons made his bones, you know, covering the Cape Cod League and getting oh, there really? so many scouts. Oh, yeah. I mean, when he was with the Boston Globe, he became a fixture down there. And, uh, you know, he would always follow. He, he always knew, you know, as far as the collegiate guys who was coming up from the Cape, who could, you know, and and, and, and to be honest, Around around in the the eighties uh, is when the Cape I think really started to make a name for itself, and where you saw more guys going to college and then going that route, and then the summer playing there. Because once you sign out of uh, you know high school, if you're a professional, you're a professional. But the, the, it's as close to a minor league as you're going to get in the summertime, and it's just a place where you know as you know as Brian said, there's going to be pro scouts at every game, and it's a place where you know you can really set yourself up to get drafted and and. So, and you know, secure your future. And I think you know, it's it, and it's just it, it's just a great league, and it, it's something I think that I would just like to experience and see. And it, and and I, I, I you know I look forward to having Brian on again. And it's it's really cool, first of all, too, 
there's four Alabama guys on the white cap. And, and just to be honest, Wade Walsh was a, was a last-minute addition after someone got injured because Wade Walsh thought he was going to turn professional. So, you know, it's, it's good for Wade to get – he went undrafted. It kind of shocked a lot of people. But I think what hurt him, as you've got through saying, is he did not see a lot of time at catcher. Uh, he split time with Will Haney. Uh, he, and, and, again, he got off to a slow start swinging the bat. But he swung the bat well in conference play. And he missed all of last season. So he was not on anybody's radar, really, after having a standout college career at Meridian High School. But he was also a teammate in high school of Austin Smith. So they were from the same high school, D.J. Petway's High School in Pensacola, Catholic High School. And uh, I think if Wade Walsh can come back as a senior and have a big year like Cody Valverde did, they've had it happen before. You know, and when Jeremy Brown moved to catcher, I still think Wade Walsh next year could be drafted high. I just think he's just now getting comfortable as a hitter after the injury when he was a junior. Absolutely. And shout-out to Austin Smith, who hit his first professional home run today uh, in rookie ball down in Florida. Uh, I want to announce a couple of quick things that are going on in Alabama athletics and then go over some basketball info that I came across before we close out with Abby Dutson kirkins letter about her brother. But before, right. we get, before we get to that, and I've got all that ready, but uh, first off, let, let me congratulate on behalf of BAMS Radio, Drew, Thomas, and myself, uh, Alabama senior uh, gymnast Kim Jacob, who Absolutely. was honored by being named the Honda Cup National Collegiate Women's Athlete of the Year over any other softball or whatever player. Kim Jacob has won the Honda Cup uh, for the University of Alabama. Just a tremendous honor, Drew. Oh, it really is. I mean, and it's a great reflection on Sarah Patterson. If, if any of our audience has not seen that SEC documentary with her and Suzanne Yachlin, who is still not one of my favorite people, but I will say this, they built gymnastics, college gymnastics. Yes. They, they built not just SEC, college gymnastics. It's that far-reaching, and I, Alabama just has to consider themselves very lucky to still have Sarah Patterson coaching there, and it's just a reflection on her program and the excellence that she's built, both uh, you know on the on the you know on the uh, on the uh, in the competitive meet situation as a gymnast, you know as an athlete, and then of course off the uh, off the athletic uh, playing field as uh, students because they, she just has a great all around program. Absolutely, and uh, you heard it first here on BAMS Radio back in November after I had a conversation at a playoff game with Ron Ingram, Media Relations Director for the Alabama High School Athletic Association. At that time, they nominated Ozzie Newsom, former Alabama and Cleveland great player, uh, receiver at Alabama, tight end at Cleveland. Ozzie has tonight in Boston been inducted into the National Football High School Hall of Fame for the whole country. Uh, Only five guys were inducted this year, and one of them, was Alabama's Ozzie Newsom, uh, who, as I said, had a great career at Bama as a wide receiver, then as a tight end for the Cleveland Browns, and now as general manager of the Baltimore Ravens. So a huge honor tonight for Ozzie Newsom. Yeah, he's he's the Jerry West of the NFL, no doubt. And you know he's, he's a doctor. He is a legend. Um, you know, and if anybody hasn't seen it on NFL Network, you need to see the the football life uh, as far as. For the Cleveland Browns in 1994 with the way Bill Belichick built that organization and, you know, gave Ozzie his chance to become a, a front office guy. And Ozzie has taken it and run with it and uh, has become one of the best in the NFL. And uh, and one of my favorite moments when Alabama won the national championship in Miami over Notre Dame, was he was he took a call from President Obama 
and he said, "Well, coach, I I'm getting used to this." He goes, "But I work for I'm I'm gonna be we're gonna be I'm gonna be visiting you twice because I work for two teams. I work for the Baltimore Ravens and the University of Alabama." There you go, and uh, want to go over some uh, information I came across about uh, off-season Bama basketball workouts. Uh, some involving recruiting and some involving new members of the team. Uh, commitments, Dante Hall and Brandon Austin, both looked good at Alabama's team camp last week. Uh, the source is also hearing good things about our team for the season, the Bama team. Uh, he says the three-point shooting will be improved. Christoph Veradell can shoot better than anybody that we've had in the last 10 years. He has unbelievable range. Uh, he's not currently scrimmaging as his leg continues to heal, but he's expected to be fine when he actually start practicing in October. Uh, Jeff Garrett, the source says, will be the biggest surprise. Uh, he's echoing something that Coach Grant told a booster club a couple months ago. He says Jeff Garrett has Tony Mitchell-type athleticism and that the season will uh, turn on Jimmy Taylor and Michael Kessens uh, as they cannot have a bunch of foul troubles and injuries. Uh, the true freshmen that just got there a couple months ago, all of which have been interviewed on the BAMS radio, those guys are all adjusting. Justin Coleman has been consistent, is a true gym rat. Between him and Bearbill, uh, the source doesn't think Alabama will see as much zone as they did last year, which was mostly all the time last year. Uh, Devin Mitchell is gaining confidence and will contribute. He has a great personality. He's already popular in social media, as we know. Uh, Riley Norris needs to get bigger and stronger to compete on the SEC level, but once that happens, look out because he has a great feel for the game. But, again, uh, Jeff Garrett's a surprise of the class. He's got energy to provide. He'll be a quick fan favorite. And he has what the young people like to call bunnies, which I think means he can jump out of the gym. Uh, the source also says look out for Michael Kessens in the screen and roll part of the offense. He has a nice jumper and some moves uh, in the low post. And Big Jimmy Taylor probably has improved the most on the team. Great to hear. He's playing very good this summer. Last year was an adjustment for him as it was the first time he was there playing against players his own size on a nightly basis. So there is some interview for you, Drew, on what's going on in the offseason of Alabama basketball. That's great stuff, Karen. I got one other question. Sure. How is the health of Shannon Hale? Uh, I don't think he's back playing, like, full court yet. Right. But I understand that he's progressing fine to the point that, that when practice opens, Shannon is expected to be available. Uh, you know, Sometimes when I get bored, I try to pick out what's going to be the starting lineup. And, and for, the, for the life of me, for months, I've had Shannon Hale as a starting three. Right. But I no longer feel that's the case because they were not able to sign the extra big man unless they can steal Noah Dickerson, who just decommitted from Georgetown yesterday. Well, no, nah, Kerry, he'll be in the next class, though. He won't be in this one. Oh, he he's not on 15? A... I thought he no, was he's 15. not. Oh, well, and... no. Well, anyway, and I, and I, they don't have yeah. enough bigs this year, so I'm thinking Shannon Hale's going to have to play the four mainly. Right. So I'm now penciling Rodney Cooper in as a starting three with Kessels and Taylor up front and uh, with uh, the point guard being Ricky Tarrant the two guard being Levi Randolph. I think that's an outstanding starting five. Oh, and they can bring but, Hale off the bench in, the, in, in uh, the four position. I think they're in good shape. Well, I, think, I just think it's going to be a heck of a fight with Hale and Kessels at the stretch four. I think both of them can play, and it's going to be interesting to see who wins the job. And if the other one could be an excellent six-man, I agree with you. But uh, I will say this about Noah Dickerson. Uh, I, was, I, I was doing a little bit of digging on him to see if Alabama was still involved. I think they are. But if, they get, if, if, if my Blue Devils make a push, look for Noah Dickerson to end up in Durham. Is it all? Is what I was saying. Oh, if they make a push, I would agree with that. All right, well, we, we mentioned at the very beginning of the show about the unfortunate, uh, untimely right. passing former Auburn great Philip Lutzenkirchen, 
whose sister Abby plays on the soccer team and has started every game for the last two years. Uh, Abby took the time to uh, go online and write a letter, uh, kind of a tribute to her brother. And if you don't mind, Drew and Thomas, I'd like to close out the show by reading that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is Abby Lutzen Kirkin writing about her recently deceased brother, Philip. She begins by saying, To anyone and everyone who knew my brother, you always hear and see other people suffering from the death of a family member, but you never think it would happen to you. But now at age 20, I'm having to watch my closest loved ones mourn the death of my beautiful brother and my family's pride and joy. No one ever gives you a handbook to guide you through the process of grieving, and I have been experiencing that firsthand within the past few days. It's easy to be angry, to get mad and yell. It's easy to cry your eyes out and collapse to the floor. And it's especially easy to question everything that God has done in this life that we live. And while I'm feeling all these emotions, the easiest thing for me to do is to let anyone and everyone who knew or has been touched by my brother know this. Philip and I had a very special relationship, being that I was his only little sister. He actually had me as baby sister Abigail in his phone when I called him. Philip was my hero, my knight in shining armor. He was Iron Man to me, and I made sure that everyone around me knew that I worshipped the ground that he walked on. What made our bond stronger within the past few years is the decision of me to play soccer at Alabama while he was still playing football at Auburn. He never lets me forget that I chose to be a bammer, but made sure that he was always my number one fan, whether he was at my game or not. However, Philip always said I was the most athletic in the family, which is friends with all the firm. It's a true statement. I promise I'm not making this up. Philip will never know how much that meant to me when he said that, but it wasn't Philip's athletic accolades that made me look up to him. It was his smile. My brother's smile could light up a room. It was his charisma, his love for our dogs, his big bear hugs, and his playful way of picking on me. It was his unconditional love for his family. It was the little notes he would leave for me in my room whenever he came home. It was the way I could always count on him to watch a Disney movie with me. It was the way he danced with us in the car and his silly Snapchats of him singing my favorite Usher songs. Philip was the typical overprotective big brother, scaring every and any boy that I even attempted to bring around my family. But what Philip never knew was that I always looked for someone with the same qualities as him, and I will always continue to do that throughout the next stage in my life. There was no one better than that big lug of a brother I had. We never had a dull moment together. When Philip was around, our family never stopped laughing, and we always felt so loved because Philip made sure he went above and beyond for us. Philip would have made the perfect husband, dad, and uncle, and it pains my family that we will never get to experience the rest of our lives with one of our absolute favorite people. I am forever grateful for being born into this amazing family and by having someone as amazing as Philip to look up to. Philip was larger than life, and seeing how this community had reached out to me in his passing and our family has just reassured us that Philip was a true and genuine man. He loves his friends like family, and they have become family to us. We hope that this family bond we have created with you all will never go away. I am blessed to know that even though my big brother is gone, I still have big brothers all around me through his friends. Philip let God shine through every single move he made, whether it was scoring touchdowns, walking on campus, attending FCA, or his frequent tweeting brigades that thousands of people saw. 
I cannot express the love he had for every single Auburn fan he met and for all the amazing people who helped him along the way. Philip always told me that football was what he did, but it wasn't who he was. If I can be half of the person and Christian that my brother was, I know that I will live a life that he would be proud of. I know this letter isn't much, and I haven't even written a smidgen of the things that I want to say about Philip, but I just wanted to thank each and every single person who has reached out to our family in these past days. We're going to need the prayers and support from you all now more than ever. We are so incredibly touched by the stories we've heard about Philip and are humbled by the impact Philip has made on so many of you all's lives. War Eagle, Forever 43, Forever My Big Brother, Abby Lutzen Kirkin. And I'd like to close the show with that. Just some great stuff by a great young lady and, uh, you know, a great example for a lot of people. And I think she handled everything beautifully. And we all, our thoughts and prayers are all with their family. Uh, I know someone that's uh, intimately involved with the Lassiter High School program. I reached out to them Sunday because that's where uh, both of Abby and her brother played high school sports. And I know that's been really hard on them as well. I think they had a candlelight visual over there tonight. We're seeing some pictures on Twitter. So it's just uh, so many communities have been affected, Terry, by the passing of Philip Lutz and Kurtzen. And that's basically what I said in my story on Sunday. And you just realize that she said, you don't ever think it's going to happen to you. And then when it does, it's just a, it's a really, really tough thing. Well, Philip will certainly be missed. And uh, normally I wouldn't do this, but on behalf of Thomas Watts, Drew Diarmond, and myself, Kerry Clark, Roll Tide, and yes, War Eagle, Philip. Absolutely. Well said, Gary.